York sports fans. On this early Wednesday morning here in New York City, I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you until the warm-up show. On this August 25th, 2021. Oh, it's my friend's birthday. I was just texting her. I gotta wish her happy birthday. I've got Mike Fliegerman here with me tonight on the ones and twos and manning the phones. We're coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan. You guys know that number. 877-337-6666. And we're gonna load them up, as always, with your best content only, everybody, because we only have a few hours here tonight. We are, I'm here from two. To 5 a.m., we've got the, the warm-up show with Al Dukes and Jerry Recco coming your way. Then, of course, followed by the WFAN morning show, Boomerang and Geo. So the New York Yankees accomplished something Tuesday that I've never seen them do in my entire lifetime. For the first time since Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, way before Nirvana, there were U2 and Blondie and music still on MTV. That's right, for the first time since all of that, since 1985, the New York Yankees accomplished, established an 11-game winning streak. They completed the two-game series sweep of the Atlanta Braves, and they are packing their momentum in their suitcases on the cross-country flight to Oakland, California. There, they will do their best to keep the A's at bay and to assert their dominance in the wildcard race. The Yes Network, in the bottom of the ninth inning, this is Tuesday night, captured Brett Gardner chewing the inside of his lips and Tyler Wade running his hands through his hair in the dugout while the Braves threatened to load the bases with none other than the mercurial Aroldis Chapman on the mound. All of us at home on our couches were the exact same way, except I had my TV on split screen. I had the Yankees on the left, the Mets on the right. Two very different games. We'll talk about that. There was a tension-filled instance where Ozzie Albies looked to be put away on swing and strike three. He tricked everybody, but the home plate umpire signaled that he foul-tipped Chapman's pitch. So why didn't Aaron Boone challenge it? Well, I looked up the rule, the challenge rule, on MTV, MTV's, MLB's website, and it says, calls involving a decision regarding whether a batted ball was foul are reviewable only on balls that first land at or beyond the set of positions of the first or third base umpire. Mumbo-jumbo, what does that mean? It means that since the supposed foul tip ended up behind the plate, it's not reviewable. Albies then beat out a throw from Rugnet Odor on what looked to be a routine infield grounder, but Odor used an extra step to gather himself, and that's what cost him the chance at the out. With Speedy Albies. Fast forward a little bit on your DVRs, everybody, and Aroldis Chapman allowed the Braves to load the bases with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. And then promptly walks Solaire to walk in and run to make it 5-4 Yankees. Enough. As Chapman slouched off the mound, the home stadium cut the lights. The crowd started serenading the Yankees, and more specifically Aroldis Chapman with the Braves' chop chin. Oh, oh, oh. To the rhythm of the beating drum, the emergency siren sounded as Wandy Peralta slapped himself in the face and jogged in from the bullpen to stop the hemorrhaging. Peralta needed to retire one batter, exactly one batter. Third in the Braves' order, the reigning NL MVP, 
Freddie Freeman. The crowd at Truist Park chanted, Freddie, Freddie. Freeman, in his career, stepped to the plate with a three-for-five history against Peralta. Pretty good numbers. Freeman worked the count at 3-1, then fouled out four consecutive change-ups from Peralta. Some tapped foul, some ripped foul. And on the final foul ball, Peralta tried to mess with Freeman's timing by extending his leg kick a little longer. Did you hear that? I mean, did you see that? I was praying that this was going to set up a fastball low and outside. Peralta and Sanchez were gutsy, calling for a fifth changeup in a row. Freeman got some good wood on it, but as Aaron Judge and Joey Gallo converged upon it in the gap, it was Joey Gallo who looked it into his glove, ending the bottom of the ninth inning soap opera. It was a close, stressful, and tension-filled. But guys, New York Yankees fans, exhale. And at the same time, exhale Mets fans too, because with that win in Atlanta, the Yankees are now four games back of the Rays in the AL East. And at the same time, the Mets gained a half a game in the NL East, even though they lost. And they're now sitting at six and a half games back in the NL East and seven and a half games back in the wild card. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. And they stay down. So now everybody has had a chance to exhale, Yankees fans. I, I'll ask facetiously, will the Yankees ever lose again? The team's longest winning streak in its history, your eyes are on that now, is 19 games. And it ended on July 17th, 1947. Is it time to celebrate? I bet there's lots of celebrating going on in the Yankees clubhouse. Because I'm, I'm sure, because of their 11-game winning streak and for Brett Garner's 38th birthday. Speaking of streaks, lost in all of the drama was that Aaron Judge extended his on-base streak to 17 consecutive games. Some takeaways from Tuesday night's Yankees at Braves game. One, I have two. Number one is the Yankees still have, and this is Captain Obvious here, a glaring back-of-the-bullpen issue, compounded by the fact that they don't have that guy that can slam the door shut. We talk about it almost every time I'm on the air talking with you guys. It reared its ugly head again Tuesday night. The bullpen as a whole. Tuesday night, five innings pitched, six hits, two runs, three walks, five strikeouts. Not great. And the closing situation? Well, all I have to say is, would the real New York Yankee closer please stand up? We're going to have a problem here. Aroldis Chapman lost his way with his fastball. He still got absolutely zero confidence in it, even from dating back from when I talked to Yankees pitching coach Matt Blake about it. What was that, two weeks ago? Chapman's lack of confidence in that pitch was evident in his pitch sequencing, and the Braves batters sensed blood in the water. The one unforgivable sequence, to me anyway, was that four-pitch walk to the pinch hitter. You've got a guy... Adrianza coming off the bench freezing cold with his 240 lifetime batting average, and that's the guy that Chapman has to go right at. He didn't. Only four pitches later, he's standing on first base. This is obviously going to be a big theme in the calls tonight. I'm already anticipating it, so let's move on to number two. The Yankees are continuing to play fundamentally sound defense. 
There were two plays that, that I wrote down in my notes that said, make sure you talk about these. Aaron Judge saved a run in the bottom of the fifth inning when he and Velasquez combined to nail Freddie Freeman at the plate. The Braves challenged it, thinking Freeman was safe, but the out call was upheld. And let me tell you something. Brett Gardner does not make that play. Since Judge was out there, the Braves only got one run. And it was at that point, 4-3, Yankees. Then, again, the second play is Aaron Judge fielded a grounder to center field. He hit cutoff man Velasquez right in the chest. And again, with a perfect throw. Velasquez pivots, fires to DJ LeMahieu, who's covering second base. And because DJ LeMahieu keeps the tag on Riley, the runner, when he momentarily comes off the bag, he's called out. That's the stuff that they teach you in Little League. Fundamentally sound teams tend to win games. And dare I say it, they tend to win championships too. This time yesterday morning, I wondered aloud if the Mets win in the last game of the Dodgers series would carry over to the first game of the Giants series in Queens. And the short answer, it didn't. The Mets, like Katy Perry, sings about they are continuing to circle the drain. There was this hope and this optimism that Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor are playing as up-the-middle combination for the first time this season would be the spark that this team so desperately needed. Luis Rojas told reporters before the game even started about Lindor, he said, having his presence on the field was something that we missed for over a month. His energy, his bat, his defense. It's been hard to be out there without his presence. I know a lot of guys are better because he's there. The last part I do agree with, making the guys better around him defensively when he's there. That's stuff that does not show up in a box score, but that you can observe it with your own eyes. But the hard and fast data doesn't lie. Baez and Lindor combined Tuesday night, 0 for 7 with a walk. After Sunday night's win in L.A., Luis Rojas told us all. He said, we have to create stuff. We've been aggressive on the bases. At this point, we're pushing. Well, aggressive on the base pass looks great on the Mets. It paid off for them against the Dodgers in that last game. But let's hit Rojas with the clown emoji on this one because the Mets did not steal a single base on Tuesday night. Not one. I guess you can't steal bases, though, when you can't get any traffic on them. More on that in a second. And then Luis Rojas made a very questionable lineup decision right off the bat, and that's putting it nicely. What happened was he elected to start Jeff McNeil in left field rather than Dom Smith. Simply put, it was the wrong decision. Although both players are down this season, McNeil and Smith, offensively speaking, you have to pencil in the better hitter against left-handed pitching. Rojas selected the wrong answer from a two-option, multiple-choice. The right answer was Dom Smith. And with the way that he hits left-handed pitching, and I examined just the 2021 stats alone, it, it, the decision wasn't even close. Smith is better than McNeil against left-handed pitchers. Like, by almost 100 batting average points, it was like the main thing that jumped off the page to me, which Sammy Long is. And Smith was better at pretty much every offensive metric that I looked at briefly. Briefly. That's how close it wasn't. So right then and there, you knew the Mets were in trouble before the game even started. 
because Luis Rojas did not put his best possible lineup on the field. Then, their defense. The Mets' defense was abominable. I'm going to point to three instances. Top of the third, Pete Alonso bobbled the ball, hit Tim right at first base. Listen, I know, a coach, as a player, I know that physical mistakes happen. It's part of the game. What ensued right after that is a complete mental breakdown by the pitcher, Miguel. So Alonso recovered, and he looked to flip the ball, shovel past the ball to the pitcher, who should have been covering first base, but Miguel wasn't there. You know where he was at first? He was on his way to back up a potential throw to the plate. You can't make this up. What? That is a colossal mental mistake. But it was still early in the game, and the baseball gods were favorable to the Mets. That run did not end up scoring. McGill struck out the next two batters. Okay, like little John, okay. Then the baseball gods grew impatient with the Mets, and they had enough. At the top of the fourth, the very next inning, Alonzo missed a ba- on a backhand. It ended up deflecting to Javier Baez. But he couldn't pick it up cleanly with his bare hand. My question was, why was Baez even trying to play with his bare hand? He had plenty of time. And that runner, Buster Posey, he ended up scoring. And that was the final nail in the coffin for Tyler McGill. More on him in a second, too. In the top of the eighth, Alonso had ner- number 33, Darren Ruff, dead meat at third base. He double-clutched the throw to the catcher, Mazika, who was very slow to cover third base. And it was a terrible throw by Alonso in the dirt to try to hit a moving target in Mazika with the runner there. It's not easy to do. Safe. And then when Lindor backhanded a ball, was unable to nab the runner with his buddy Baez at second base, that run ended up scoring. So my point is this. If you are a professional baseball team on life support, after a catastrophic free fall, like the Mets currently are in, you cannot be making mistakes like this to the best team in baseball. You have to be minding your P's and Q's and playing the tightest defensive game that you possibly can especially since you rank second to last only to the tanking Pittsburgh Pirates in runs scored per game. We talked this time yesterday morning that the Mets' best chance to steal a game from the league's best San Diego Giants, I mean San, San Francisco Giants, was going to be on Tuesday night. I told you how Sammy Long was the weakest pitcher in the Giants' upcoming probable pitchers against the Mets. He entered the game with a 5.72 ERA over 28 and one-third innings of work. He entered the game, this is uh, San Diego, I keep saying it, San Francisco pitcher Sammy Long. He entered the game with a negative .3 war. The Mets lineup was clearly light work for him. He finished five and a third innings of work having struck out four Mets and allowed only four Mets to reach base. The most important number for him? Well, the fact that there were five goose eggs on the Mets' row of the scoreboard that he put up. How do the Mets muster only three hits against a pitcher with an ERA damn near six? I told you this time yesterday that the following information was going to be a theme for the entire series. I told you that the the Giants, going into this series with the Mets, they have a league-leading 867 OPS on fastballs. I said, this time yesterday, the Mets pitchers better hope that their secondary stuff is working. To me, it looked as though this bit of information was lost on the Mets and on Tyler McGill. Like, he didn't even try to utilize his other pitches. 
If you looked at his stat catch, stat cast pitch selection chart, once he took a seat, you know, after he gave up 11 hits, seven earned runs, and four home runs, you would notice that there was no adjustment made in his in-season approach against these Giants batters. Most of the pitch chart, when I looked at it, was sprinkled with red dots. And red dots on his pitch chart indicate fastballs. To my naked eye, and again, just in my best estimation, I counted, one by one, 26 of his 74 pitches were not four-seam fastballs. So that means that Tyler McGill's pitch arsenal featured 65% fastballs, which is greater than his season average of 57%. The Giants made him pay for it. It was like home run derby at City Field on Tuesday night. And Pete Alonso was not the victor. I'm sorry to tell you that. So I was curious. And I told you guys that I sometimes surprise myself. And this is one of those instances. I, I looked at all of the pitches that the Giants batters put into the seats beyond the outfield wall at City Field. So Brandon Belt's first home run came on a slider. I think... That must have just been a mistake pitch that just didn't move effectively enough. But Mike Jastrzemski's home run off Tyler McGill. It was a four-seam fastball. Lamonte Wade's home run off of Tyler McGill. It was a four-seam fastball. Brandon Belt's second home run was a curious case because after he took the slider deep, Tyler McGill and his catcher, Patrick Mazika, actually decided that a steady diet of not one, not two, not three— but four four-seam fastballs was going to get the job done. So wrong. Belt belted the fourth one over the fence. And again, you guessed it, the four-seam fastball. Taiwan Walker is slated to pitch later today, Wednesday. His arsenal, too, is fastball heavy. Although I think he'll fare a little better considering he, he does have four other pitches that he can go to. Slider, cutter, curveball, split finger. And the cutter, he only threw... So far this year, at 3%. So, he can go to it, though, right? Now, fortunately for the Mets, Johnny Cueto is going to be the, the or opposing pitcher against him. Okay. Then after Taiwan Walker, you got Carlos Carrasco. It's his turn. And his, his pitch arsenal indicates to me, Tyler McGill, 2.0. Fastball, slider, changeup. Not good. Oh, and in case you haven't heard or you haven't been able to figure it out, the Mets lost. Eight nothing. So let's get it going. I've set the table for you guys. I can't wait to talk with you. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on the fan in New York City. Your official station to talk Jets. The fan on 1019 FM and the Odyssey app. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on the fan in New York City. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means? MTV's The Challenge is on. Does anybody watch that? That's like the, the fifth major sport. Like, I love that show. I can't miss it. So uh, don't tweet me any spoilers, though. I, I think uh, I don't think I'm going to watch it live tonight. I do have it on DVR. Okay, so The Challenge on MTV. If, you're, if, you're, if you know, you know. Okay, so remember last night when we talked about uh, Corey Kluber and Gio Urshela making the rehab starts with the Somerset Patriots? Remember that? Okay, well, the results are in. We'll take Kluber first. Kluber, it was an outing where he gave up three runs in three innings uh, and on 56 pitches. That was the first time around, the most recent one, up until um, this past 
uh, Tuesday night with the Somerset Patriots. So it was better. It was better. I would have preferred, though, that he went the full four innings. He went three and two-thirds innings this time around. Two runs on five hits. One walk, four strikeouts. The total pitch count was 60, only up from 56, as I just told you. So, you know, that's why I'm saying I would rather him have gone the full four. That part, or the part that scares me, this is air quotes here, the part that scares me most about this whole thing is the amount of runs that he's given up. Remember, these are double-A lineups that, that Corey Kluber's pitching against. His 2021 minor league ERA between his time with the Patriots and his time with the Rail Riders, who are the AAA affiliate, you know that. Corey Kluber's ERA in the minor leagues is 16.62 against minor leaguers. That's concerning to me. And coming off the news that Luis Heal, who has been phenomenal, can't crack the major league roster because of numbers. So here's what I would do. I would recommend at least two more starts for Kluber in the minors. I want to see an outing of at least 75 pitches and zero runs surrendered before I think to move him up because it's so crowded. Gio Urshela turned in his second strong performance in three days, three calendar days, two games. He finished the night with Patriots. Final stat line, one for four, one run scored, one strikeout. But he's hitting. 500 on the rehab assignment so far. He's ready. And, yep, I would bet the house (laughs) that he'll be making the Wednesday trip to Oakland with the Yankees. Then, I guess Rugnet Odor takes a seat. And then they start really rotating around that DH position. So, we'll get to your calls. 877-337-6666. Justin in Deer Park is our leadoff caller of the night. Justin, you're up. You're the DJ LeMahieu of the night. Glad to be in Justin Lever's home run tonight. Right? Finally. Yep. That's how I'm glad to be on second night in a row with you. And you're on again Friday, right? Uh, yes, it's Friday morning. Thursday night into Friday morning, 2 to 6. Yep. And I'll probably be with you again. All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So how sweet is that 11 in a row? Oh my God! It's um well, it hasn't happened in mine or your lifetimes, Justin. I know I've never seen it. It's um, it's um, it's amazing. I think Chapman just with his Kleinetson injury, he still is just he's always been shaky, but he's just started just getting back into the flow of it again. So I saw that third strike around that looked like a strike, but well, umpire yeah, unfortunately. Generally, they hear stuff, so here's it, so they know. I'm not going to argue. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just tough, though, because I, I looked at the replay, you know, again and again and again. I didn't see, really, the trajectory of the ball change, and I was like, Me neither. Uh, trust me. Yeah, I know, but he, he heard it. I mean, he had to have heard it, and that was it. Yeah, but it's all right. Well, he's, I'm not worried. People are saying they should trade him. They should designate, cut him. It's not that easy. Yeah, no, contract. Yeah, no, it's not easy. First of all, it's not easy, and does he have? Do you know how many years he has left on that? Mm, t- I can look it up real quick. Don't, it's not. It's not next time you speak. I can get it for you real quick. 
Yeah, does that's okay with you? Yeah. So Aroldis Chapman on his contract. Uh, of course, it's not gonna it's not gonna load for me. Wait, it's coming. Oh right. God. All right, Justin, keep going, and then I'll, I'll get it for you. And when you hang up, I, I'll I'll say it because it's Sorry. not loading. It's not. I'll, I'll look it up later or in the morning. Oh yeah. So you want to let the right? So it's going to happen, Clovers. You're not going to be perfect. Look, people think Mariano was like God. He even had some rough moments. Too. Well, yeah, he just. Mariano was just extra-worldly and just didn't have that many of them. <laughs> Not many, but at times he did. And just the moment, people just need to realize he's human. It's not going to be perfect. People expect it to be perfect. It's not going to happen. Yeah, but I know. He's the best closer they had since Mariano retired, Chapman. Um, I mean, I I guess. I, I, well, yeah, because <laughs> everyone else had their fair moments. Like David Robertson, he wasn't. They tried to him. He wasn't always the greatest. He had. He wasn't so good. Yeah, but but you know what? Just find find me one that's perfect. I mean, I, you know, I'll wait. There's no such thing. Right. Not, no, Mariano, not even Trevor Hoffman. Right, right. No, no, not not one of them is perfect. But you know what, though, Justin, thanks for the call. There, the one thing that I would do is I would make sure that Aroldis Chapman does not see. A high leverage situation in the ninth until he can throw that fastball consistently. I mean, enough is enough with that. I talked about it with Matt Blake. He said, Yeah, I'm, par- I'm totally paraphrasing here, but you can go back. It's, it's on demand if you want to listen to it. WFAN on demand. He was like, Yeah, but basically, like, he doesn't have a lot of confidence in, you know, we have to regain his confidence in the fastball. Well, based on his pitch selection, you saw that. There wasn't much to it. He didn't have much variety. And they're just showing the replay now. You know what? I'm extra super slow-mo on this replay. I, I am seeing a little bit of, from the side view too, we didn't get that in the in the Yes Network. It does look like the trajectory of the ball was manipulated, yes. It was a foul tip. And you know what else too? A lot of people are tweeting, well, why didn't Aaron Boone, why didn't he he uh, he challenge that? Because you can't. The rule is that you can't. And he had to answer that um, after the game as well. The contract of Aroldis Chapman. I've got it right here on my phone because my computer isn't loading. Better fix that. Maybe do a quick little restart. But Aroldis Chapman is a Yankee through the year, through the 2022 season. So he'll be an unrestricted free agent after the 2022 season. So if you're the Yankees, what do you do? Like that's probably like the biggest question, right? So what do you do in these situations now? Because I'm telling you, I do not want to see Roldis Chapman walking out there in a playoff game, in a postseason game with the game on the line. I just don't want to see it. I don't even. I, every I, like, there's no lead that seems to be big enough for him. It was five one the other night. And I'm like, oh boy, they're warming up Chapman. Uh oh. I mean. He's a dominating pitcher. He's lost the domination factor of it. And in these scenarios, I guess the past two recent scenarios, right, they've had him come in and then another pitcher, a closer after the closer. I feel like Paulie D, the T-shirt after the T, the shirt after the shirt. They've had a closer after the closer come in to clean up the mess. 
I think it was Loisaga the other night. It was definitely Peralta um, Tuesday night, just a few hours ago. Actually, it was a late game, long game. And Peralta, I mean, how, how, I mean, amazing. Talk about high leverage. You walk into a game, into a scenario with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and any mistake can cost you the game. One bad pitch can cost you the game in a mess that you didn't create either. You got the whole stadium doing the, the chop chant at you. I mean, it's just, I don't know. A guy has ice in his veins. I don't know. Aaron Boone called it tremendous, just, just gutsy. And Wandy Peralta said after the game, if you go in the game, you want to have a sense of urgency to get the job done. Hmm. That's like the company line. Judge was like, that changeup from Wandy is pretty nasty. So we were able to get out of it. And he said he was kind of chuckling in center field because it was like changeup, changeup, changeup. How many times? Five in a row. He got Freddie Freeman out on the fifth changeup in a row. Five. I wouldn't have done it. I would have went fastball low and outside. That's what I would have done. Just to change, you know, not only the speed of it, but the eye level of it as well. But Peralta and Sanchez had another plan and it ended up working. So let's go to Rob in Holbrook. You're up next on the fan. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Doing well. Good. Talking about tonight's game. Um, I know everybody wants to beat up Chapman and he's in a rut right now, but if we're going to win this World Series this year, we need him. Yes. So, um, that's the bottom line. I mean, he's uh, he's proven to be great. He's been proven to be great this year at times. Mm-hmm. It's just right now he's just not pitching well. Um, tonight, what Peralta did coming in. First of all, did you did you talk? I I, I got on the radio late. I don't know if you talked about that that uh, that swing and miss tip. I don't know. Yes. Yes. I, I, I rewind that a couple times. I didn't see a tip. You know, I think that kind of screwed us. You know I mean, what? I don't know. Yeah, so so I I was with you. I didn't see it on the Yes Network broadcast, but uh, we have a different channel on here in the in the studio. They actually showed it from the side view in super slow-mo. Yes, it, the trajectory was changed. Oh, they just so showed it did, just now. Oh, so he did actually tip it. Yeah, it barely. Just a game of inches, right? Just barely. But, yeah, he did. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and you know what? I was like you at the beginning. I was like, there was no way. But seeing it again on a different angle, there was a way. Yeah. I, I, I hit it back a couple times on DVR. just trying want to see it, but I wanted to get on to, you know, I want to see the rest of the game. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, well, Peralta came in, and he kept on throwing change-ups. I, I liked it. I mean, I think if we threw Peralta, I think we threw uh, Freddie a freaking baseball there, he would have hit it. So <sighs> I know. For whatever reason, I don't know why five or six in a row, I don't know why he was, was tricked each time, but... You know, thank God, you know, we, we, we got through that inning. But, yeah, that have been that would have been another heartbreaker this year if, if we lost that one. But. I know. but And you know what, though? And, Rob, thanks for the call. And good point there. So, two things, okay? Heartbreaking, right? But when you set – this team is a different team. First half to second half, I don't care what anybody says, right? They're a different team. And now it's, it's evidence just this past night. They were down – I think they were down 2 nothing. The first way is this. They were down 2 nothing, And then early in the season, that would have been enough. And, and, and it had been enough early on in the season. Yet in this game, they clawed back. That's just another way that they have shown you that they are a different team from half one to half two. 
And then I forgot I was going to say the other thing. Um, I forgot the other thing. You, said, you, you, you reminded me and then I forgot. But I guess what I'm saying is this. This team doesn't get down. They don't get out. The second half team, that is. They don't get down. They don't get out. And it's just, it's almost like, I, I imagine the other pitcher, the opposing pitcher, playing a game of like mental like whack-a-mole. Like, okay, I got Stanton to strike out. Oh, well, I got to whack DJ LeMahieu down. You know what I mean? Because it's just, there's a different guy that's stepping up every single time. It's just somebody different every single time. And Gary Sanchez, hate on him all you want. I mean, me too included, right? He has not been a great player for the Yankees, but he has come through in two very big situations against the shift in both situations. How about that? I don't know. It's just you're looking at a different team and 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 just, like you said, in order to get to the promised land, in order to win or get to and potentially win a World Series, the Yankees need Aroldis Chapman. They need to screw his head on right and, and remind him and pump him up of the Aroldis Chapman of, I don't want to say old, because it happened this season. He was excellent this season. So, um, the Giants, New York football Giants, that is. Maybe we, can, maybe we can weave some football into here. The Giants have injuries to a lot of their key offensive players. They cause them to miss valuable training camp time. And we talked about this yesterday. But none more impactful, in my opinion, than Saquon Barkley. When will Saquon Barkley see full speed game action? I'll tell you what I think, Giants fans, and I don't think you're going to like it. Coming up next here on The Fan. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan, you guys. 877-337-6666 is the number. Yankee fans, you got to be pumped up after that victory. I mean, you're able to exhale now, right? Mets fans, I know, man. I, I, I know. It's, it's, uh, it's brutal. So if you wanted to call and just, I could play psychologist for you guys, whatever, whatever. You know, I, I think I might have left my pencil here last night, and now it's gone. Uh, all right. Anyway, so. The, the New York Giants, a lot of injuries to some key players. You know, pick, name your pick, really. Galladay, Rudolph, Barkley. Saquon Barkley. Right before the break, I asked you and I told you, I have a, I don't want to say a guess, but I, I have a guess of when we're going to see Saquon Barkley back on the field for these Giants. I got a tweet. And by the way, if you wanted to tweet me, if you can't get through, it's 877, I mean, 337 That's a phone number. If you guys want to tweet me, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I had a tweet from Mike O'Brien, and he said, I think Saquon is a week two or week three, in my opinion. But can the wide receiver core stay healthy, which is Galladay and Ross? That's another question we need to ask. Okay, so let's take Galladay first. I think that's the easier one before we even get into Saquon. So Pat Leonard said, first of all, Galladay is out with hamstring injury. And hamstring injuries are very tricky. It's not like it's a bone where it's like, okay, Here's the x-ray. It's healed. It's not like that. So, we've got Kenny Galladay. On August 5th, they said he was going to miss two to three weeks. Okay, so let me plot my calendar here. August 5th was Thursday, August 5th. Three weeks will be Thursday, the 26th, like, like a day from now. 
right? That's three weeks. I don't think you're going to see much of Kenny Galladay in the, the Patriots game. Maybe he gets a series, preseason game that is. Maybe he gets a, a series just to get his legs underneath him. But that's a concern. And will he be ready for week one? I th- we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, like I said, hamstrings are, are tricky. So when you look at Saquon, right? I mean, Galladay aside, all these guys aside, Saquon Barkley is the most dynamic player on the New York Giants roster. Like, at any point, this guy could break a, break off a game-changing play. I mean, really, whether he's catching it and running with it or he's just running through the tackles. I mean, bouncing outside. Either way, I mean, the guy has game-changing ability. So when can the Giants expect him back on the field? To the best of my knowledge, he has not even been hit at practice yet. Like, not even at the joint practices. So from what I know, he's been doing individual drills. I think they said they were going to incorporate him on the 11-on-11 drills versus the Patriots in these joint practices, which we'll talk about that. I'm not a fan. So will Saquon Barkley get some reps in the preseason finale against the Patriots? Don't hold your breath. I don't think so. Coach Judge said on Monday now, two days ago, he said, it's not decided yet. We're going to talk with the medical team. His foot's tapping every day, wanting to do more and more. But the priority will be to continue ramping him up, doing more, which we'll do with team drills. There's your answer right there. He's not going to be playing in the preseason game. Team drills. His first, I'm using air quotes here, game speed action since week two at Soldier Field last season. To me, it doesn't sound like he's taking any snaps in that preseason game three. None. So ultimately, when will the Giants see Saquon Barkley, number 26, in the backfield. Look at the schedule. The Giants play the Broncos in week one. I don't think you're going to see Saquon Barkley in that game. Because the Giants play the Washington football team just four days later in D.C. on Thursday night football. I think that's when you're going to see the Barkley debut in an NFC East The Broncos game matters. But that game, that Washington football team game, the short turnaround, the trip to D.C., that game matters more. So I don't think they're going to take a chance of really banging them up week one, Broncos. I think you will see them in Washington, D.C. All right, let's go back to the calls. 877-337-6666 is the number. Ben from Queens, you're up on the fan. Morning, Coach. Honestly, you know what? The Braves did the exact right thing, and, and they nearly pulled it off by doing the exact right thing. When you have a reliever that's lacking confidence and starts out badly, you pointed out the perfect situation and even threw in an Eminem reference there. <laughs> Please stand up. You like that? You yeah, caught that? Yeah. Good. Good. When he, I'm, I'm at work. We're swamped. I'm listening to this, and I'm just like, no, 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 no. This is not happening again. Get a strike over. Get a four-pitch walk. Like, what What do you do? What, to what, to what? a guy that just came off the bench, was cold. I just, that was the at-bat. I'm like, wait a second. Like, this, there's not, this is not right. I, I was like, this, this is not how the streak ends. This will not be how the streak ends. So, okay, boom. I, we're, we're going to the bullpen. And I'm like, okay, who again? Wandy Peralta. And I was like, 
wait, 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 wait. You're getting Peralta in? Does Does Boone know his history against Freddie Freeman? Yeah, three for five. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> the amount of minor heart attacks I had during this at bat was just. <laughs> I, I I was like I was like oh god oh oh no anyway but 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 they got through it I they know. got through it it's eleven you know and Ben here's a funny thing too like I'm sitting there I I knew how the Met game was trending I mean it was like over right basically that game was like over it was eight nothing I was able to you know get my notes together and stuff and then this Yankee game I I thought I I knew how that game was going to end and I'm texting my friend like oh my god like if this they blows this save I have to pick. New songs, <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to, like, it was it was nerve-wracking. I'm sitting there like, please don't blow it. Please don't blow it. Please don't blow it. And, and let, let me just say this about the songs you picked. Folks, if you haven't heard Bowling for Soup, they're the <laughs> ones who sing 1985. Yeah. Their discography are some of a great folk songs disguised as rock songs. Really? All right? So, <laughs> so if you, because I love them for 1985. The video is well done. The video is awesome as heck, involving a garage. That's all I'm going to say. And <laughs> as as they literally go through different periods of dress of the 1980s. You know, that's so funny. Cause, all right, I have a question for you. So Fleegs and I were just talking about that, actually, when he was like, look at all these screenshots of all these outfits that they're wearing. I mean, is was that on purpose? Like the guy in that yeah. video, 1985, he's wearing like – Pantyhose and red lipstick. I mean, mm-hmm. is that, that's on purpose. Uh huh. Okay. Look, look up Tawny Katane. T T A W N Y K I T A E N. Okay. Look up Tawny Katane. You'll see the video she did, and you'll see where bowling, bowling for suit got part of the inspiration. Because they they spoofed White Snake. They spoofed Poison. They spoofed. Uh, oh, I forget the other group they spoofed, but every time the garage door closed, they were a different '80s rock band ah. coming up. So, so it, it 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 it's one of those. It was like um, uh, for folks out there, it was it was essentially a parody and an homage all in one. Yeah. Because okay. it's one specific video. That's why I mentioned Tony Katane, where they stole most of that from. Yeah. But their their periods of dress were were just a variety of '80s rock bands, and that's so funny you say that because we were talking about that not yeah. long ago. Okay, we got it. We've uncovered it. We got okay, it. Yes. all right. So so last thing for the Yanks. Yes, last thing for the Yanks of the day. I'll wait. I'll wait on on the Jet thing for another day. Okay, all right. So we talked about Stanton. The guy I haven't mentioned is Sanchez. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm seeing him now bearing down at bats. He's still got that wild swing that drives me nuts. Yeah. But somehow, it's like he's seeing the ball better. Right. And I don't understand how that's possible because you're a catcher. You're supposed to be able to always see the ball. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, is it, I, I know other callers could uh, have a better sense of this. Is it me or Sanchez fouling the ball off more? Before, remember, it would be three, four wild swings, and he's out of there. Mm-hmm. Now he's having seven, eight pitch at bats. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. 
It's something I've noticed the last couple of times I've listened and watched games where Sanchez has started. Okay, so I, that that was my own weird observation of the day. Mm-hmm. Coach, thank you for the time. Enjoy. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Um, you know, the the one thing I will say about Gary Sanchez, and I've dogged him too. Like everybody, I, you know, people dog Gary Sanchez, and, and so do I. But over these past two games, I've liked what I have seen from Gary Sanchez. Because, at the plate, that is. <laughs> Don't get me started on, on the, uh, the and the ball got to, gets away from Sanchez with ba- literally bases loaded, two outs, bottom of the ninth inning. The ball got away from Gary Sanchez, and I'm, like, ready to throw my computer. Uh, I'm going to be starting out. But the runner didn't advance because they didn't want to make the last out at home, obviously. So, what I like about Gary Sanchez at the plate, and, and I wrote down pitches per at-bat. I'll take a look at that um, if I can, just to com- kind of compare bands of the season, you know? But what I like and what I've seen, the results myself, are the fact that Gary Sanchez for two nights in a row has gone against the shift. He has beaten the shift. And not by bunting, none of that. No, he's beating the shift. And and I guess it was, I'm getting my days mixed up here. It was Monday night's game. He beat the shift to the to the left of second base, it squeaked through the outstretched glove of the shortstop. In Tuesday night's game, he went to the other side of second base. So he's he's when when you coach kids and or anybody when when and you know as a player when the ball is going back up the middle, back up the middle, that's a mark of a batter that is seeing the ball well. And it's quite possible, Ben, that that you're right that his pitches per at bat has increased. Because he's seeing the ball better. That could be. Let's just, let's, I know I will kind of pump the brakes on Gary Sanchez being the the Yankees savior, you know. But I am liking what I'm seeing from him. And and maybe it's because they dropped him in the order. Batting sixth, maybe maybe he likes batting sixth. Maybe he likes having... Uh, guys like, uh, I don't know, Rizzo, Judge, Gallo, and Stanton in front of him. He doesn't feel the pressure to have to get it done. See, a lot of the times I think people focus on the physical. You know, he's swinging late. His leg kick is too high. His timing is off. A lot of times people don't actually like put themselves in, in the minds of the hitter, in the psyche of the hitter. So if I'm Gary Sanchez and I'm looking up, I'm using um, Tuesday night's batting order. If I'm looking up in my order and I've got... John Carlos Stanton right in front of me. Gallo batting fourth ahead of him. Then I got Judge ahead of him and Rizzo ahead of him. I'm like, well, you know what? I really don't have a lot of pressure on me to be the guy. These guys can be the guy. And Stanton and Odor and LeMayhew were the guys. Those were the guys that hit the home runs. And Sanchez, of course, uh, with the base hit. But what I'm saying is Gary Sanchez... Might have he? This might be the start of something for him. He looks comfortable. The results are showing that he's pretty comfortable. And I would actually, I'm going to write down, look at, look at strikeouts. I want to venture to guess that they're down a little bit too over the past couple of days. So I've got some homework to do. I will be back on uh, Friday morning from two to six. Two to six. That's a long one. <laughs> I'm here two to five actually tonight or this morning, I should say, right up until the warm-up show with Al Dukes.
Welcome back to McCartan in the morning at 3.03 here in New York City. On a night where, I guess a morning after, where the Yankees had uh, an exciting, <laughs> not in a good way, drama-filled win against the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. You know, the Yankees tweeted before a, uh, where was it, a compilation of like four pitchers, and, and it said, uh, caption was, Sweep Dreams. And then I retweeted it, and I wrote, are made of these. <laughs> and then uh, I got a tweet from, made me laugh, where is it? Doug Pucci, at the Douglas Pucci. He said, who am I to disagree right after that? So pretty cool, having some fun. Yankees are definitely having some fun. They are packing their confidence, ready for that cross-country trip to dominate the Oakland A's and show them who's boss in this wild card race. And then you got the Mets. Oh, baby, the Mets. Oh, you know, I, I, I had this, this belief that they were going to just carry it over from L.A. and just get it done. They had their chance. This was their chance. This pitcher is the worst one out of the, the few that they're going to face against the Giants. And they just looked like they were playing uninspired baseball. I mean, I had the split screen on, and I, honestly, my eyes were probably 85% focused on the left side of the screen, which was the Yankees-Giants game. The Mets literally made, what, what's his name, Sammy Long? Might as well have been Maddox written on the back of his jersey. I mean, abominable. Brutal. So brutal. So if you guys want to be a part of the show, there's two ways to do it. You can give me a call, 877-337-6666, or... You can send me a tweet. Maybe you're working. Maybe you're, I don't know, don't want to wake anybody up. So that's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. And with that, we will go to the phones. Sam in Wachung, New Jersey. You're up on the fan. Oh, good morning. Yeah. Okay, you got to bear with me. I just woke up. Oh, all right. Well, good morning. All right. Yeah, yeah. well, I was I, I was called before with, with Pete, but I didn't get through. Can I do have one question about Pete. Is he the one from Hoboken or am I getting him mixed up? No, Pete. Uh, Pete's from Long Island, I think. Uh, okay, all I right. Then, then it's another guy. Pat the guy lives from in Hoboken. Hoboken the other night was very good. Yeah, Pat lives in Hoboken you know, now. Oh, his name is Pat. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, the reason why I called Danielle and the reason why I called before, I I am a real giddy giddy Yankee fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like you know, I, I I've been a Yankee fan for a long, long time, and this this year was driving me crazy. Yeah. I had hopes, and I had hopes, and now you know the way things have turned. And my point is, uh, I mean, my call is about Rizzo. I'm happy about Rizzo, but yeah. the thing is, I can't remember the last time I seen that man get a hit. You know, that's funny you say that. Okay, because, that's one thing. Yeah, because I last, mean, uh, am I right or wrong? Now, no, I watch right. the games on the DVR because I can't stand commercials. Yeah. So I do, I do skip some parts. So maybe he got a hit here and there, but I can't. I don't remember one. So guess and, and what? there's been a couple bloops that that they made nice plays on. I'm like, well, that was almost a hit, but he still hasn't hit the ball good. Okay, so that's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing. Honestly, I was thinking it, and I'm, I'm just I, last night because I was on this time last night. I had I looked it up and I was like, when was the last time that Anthony Rizzo got a hit? Because over the past couple of at bats, and I'm still looking, I'm still going back. I'm go, I'm on Friday. Let's see. Rizzo, uh-huh. he wasn't even in the order. Hold on. Hold on. I'm still going back because I, I was thinking the same thing, and I never actually got a number here. 
Oh, my God. Right. So he might be like one for his last 30 or something. No, my I guess. Honestly, if I do the math, it's, it looks like it might be worth Here's the hit. Okay, the last hit he got was against the Red Sox on the 18th. So let me just totally That's a up. while back. Yeah. So he's one for, let me add this up. Hold on. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and five. He's one for his last 18 at bats. Mm. But, but, okay, the, but, 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 like Sam, I said, things are going good and everything. Right. So, and, and you were talking about Sanchez a few minutes ago. Back, back when everybody wanted him out and, you know, he, he was hitting 140, whatever it was yeah. that one year, or, you know, uh, he still had home runs and RBIs as like a normal kind of normal hitter. And, and, and then you, you said that with the pass balls or not pass balls, but the, with the bases loaded, yeah. uh, a couple balls almost got by him. Yeah. Danielle, he's been way better this year. It has. Stuff. Listen, it way has. Way better. It has And been I have better. one other thing. And can I switch gears one second and, and, uh, and I'll listen, uh, with the giants, I never saw a season. Well, of course we didn't see the season yet coming up. But this, it depends so much on the offensive line. Yes. Because when the Giants are in the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl years, they always had a good O-line. Yep. Me and my so friend I really were just don't talking know about, about the O-line this year, but if it is good, I think they're going to be good. Yep. And uh, thank you. Yeah. And, and Sam, I think right on there. And then we'll talk Giants. We'll go backwards. So the Giants, me and my friend were just talking about this the other day, like O'Hara, Cybert, like those, those were the dudes, man. Like those were the key to success of that team, really. Honestly, and you look at the Giants' offensive line right now, and you're like, mm, mm, can they be? I don't know. What's Will Hernandez yet? Andrew Thomas? I don't know. It's a lot of head-scratching going on on that offensive line. Yes, the way that the Giants constructed their team was from the outside in. I disagree with the fundamental principle. I think that, like the, like the Jets seem to have done with Mekhi Becton, you have to build it out, inside out. Makai Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, and then all of a sudden, Zach Wilson looks great. Did you not? Did you guys not see um, what's the guy in Jacksonville? Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he was on his butt for a lot of that that game because he doesn't have an offensive line in front of him. I would not be surprised after seeing that. And I know it's preseason. I know. I get it. But I would not be surprised if Zach Wilson has a better season than Trevor Lawrence because of the line in front of him. So that's why. I want Daniel Jones taking a, a series or two in these preseason games. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he can work on his on individual things. As I uh, last night, I was talking about this. I mean, he can work on his uh, pre-snap reads, his footwork, and it's just most importantly just the feel for the pocket again, knowing when to bail, knowing when to throw it away. I mean, he's a third-year quarterback in his second year in this offense, and last year there was no training camp. You have to get him out there. And and going back to Rizzo, one for his last 18. That sucks. But with the way the Yankees are clicking on all cylinders, I wrote, can be absorbed. Has been absorbed. And that's just the way it is. And he's done good things with his defense. Same thing with Joey Gallo. And then Gary Sanchez, his defense, I'll give it to him, has been better better but again if you set the bar so low and you just show a little bit of improvement it looks like a lot if that makes sense not great still not great that was the biggest thing that I've ever yeah I mean hitting comes and goes I just said about Rizzo the biggest thing I've ever knocked Gary Sanchez for was his defense 
All right, in the order that you guys call, let's go. Danny in Whitestone, you're up next on the fan. How you doing, Danielle? Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Danny. I have two things, if I could. One yeah. Mets, one Giants. Go. Uh, I'm calling about the Mets. Uh, I never wanted Rojas back this season at all. I know it's not his fault they're not hitting, mm-hmm. but he's just not the guy for this job. And what was Alderson and uh, the Mets staff thinking, picking up Baez instead of somebody like Chris Bryant, more of a complete hitter? We didn't need another guy that strikes out so much. And can. <laughs> oh, yeah. Danny, your lips to God's ears. We talked about it at nauseum on here. Before the trade deadline, I was like, don't do it. Do not do it. And of course, they went and did it. I the don't understand. The defense is great, I understand, but we need to hit the ball. When we're struggling as bad as we are, it's just not the time to get somebody like that. And you already have a shortstop on your team. Let's just throw that out there. Exactly, exactly. And my one thing about the Giants is, uh, like you were just actually speaking about, Daniel Jones, uh, when are we going to put him in a preseason? This guy hasn't proven anything during you know a regular season. Don't you think he needs to build his confidence even Though it's preseason for some bums and just get some, you know, confidence up. Why isn't him or somebody like uh, Slayton playing? These young guys should be in the game during the preseason. Yes, yes. And and also, too, Danny, good point. And also, too, as you were talking, I thought of confidence. Yeah, he's coming off the hamstring injury, too, Daniel Jones is. So I don't understand. It's a great point. I don't know. Uh, But it seems as though I think. Joe Judge actually came out and said it, it seems as though Daniel Jones is going to get a half on uh, whatever day they play, Saturday or Sunday against the Patriots. He's going to get a half. Now, that kind of bleeds into something I want to talk about just a little bit later, these these joint practices. I mean, apparently he's been getting his work in in the joint practices. To me, you cannot replicate game day scenario with a practice jersey on. You just can't do it. And we'll get into that in, in a few seconds here. But as, as far as your point, Danny, on Rojas, I said it then, and I still believe that the reason why they brought Rojas back was for continuity. There was so much change and so much overturn in that organization with with the ownership change that I think that the players liked him. You know, he came up sort of kind of with them through the ranks and I just think that they did not want to upset any sort of apple carts uh, with him. So they kept him on. I don't think he's going to be back next year. That's first and foremost. And I guess I should kind of keep like a running little list of these things, and maybe I will for when it ultimately happens. But take last night, for instance, Tuesday night game. You've got... A left fielder to choose. You've got two two options. You've got McNeil or Smith. You've got as much as a must-win game as possible in front of you. And you pick the guy that hits left-handed pitching at like 100% worse in batting average, like worse across the board in Jeff McNeil, and you keep Dom Smith stapled to the bench. That I don't understand. I, I can't understand how that decision was made. Maybe they want to get Jeff McNeil started, but Dom Smith is already started. I've always the, the proponent of, of riding the hot hand. There was no reason why Dom Smith should have been on the bench in that game. And then what's going to happen? I'm telling you, it's going to be a little resentment buildup, and it's going to explode. If it hasn't already that we don't know about, there because, as you know, no reporters allowed in the clubhouse. So what goes on in there? No one knows. 
Back to the calls, 877-337-6666. Eric in Ronkonkoma, you're up next. Hey, Danielle, good morning. How you doing? Great, how are you? Good, good. A couple things real quick here. Uh, you mentioned uh, um, Galladay with the uh, hamstring. Just mm-hmm. ask uh, Carrasco how the hamstring went. I mean, he was out a lot longer than everyone figured. Yep. So, I mean, uh, definitely tricky. Uh, and as far as Rizzo, I mean, you got to c- cut the guy a break. I mean, coming off, coming off of, you know, COVID, I'm not saying you specifically, but, you know, the, the caller mentioning he doesn't remember hit. He's coming off of COVID, and uh, it, it hit him, you know, somewhat hard. So, I mean, he's going to, you know, would, uh, probably, you know, have some kind of effect on his, uh, you know, ability there. So, that's, yeah. uh, but, um, he'll be all right. You know, uh, I have a yeah, feeling he'll I mean, be all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, just his very presence there, I mean, is, is clearly making an impact. Yes. So. Exactly. Um, okay. Two, two things we, you know, the, uh, Mets and Jets, you I know, mean, we spoke yesterday. I mentioned, you know, uh, are, are the Jets by the time they get to the season going to be able to field the team? And now we got Beckton. Uh, in concussion protocol, yep. you know, so add that to the list now. So, I yeah. mean, it's ridiculous. Every day I turn around. I know. And, it, and there's another injury. I, I mean, know. That's, uh, yeah. Eric, well, let me just stop you right know. there, just in case no one no one heard this, um, because it kind of like was like sneaky news here. Um, Mackay Becton, it seemed to be, I think it was a, a head-to-head collision, and he, he vomited yep. on the field. And they're trying to figure out if that was due to the heat or, more likely, that it's it's it is a sign of a concussion. So, and I looked yeah. at this before too. Um, the average length or days missed, calendar days missed of a play NFL player for concussion was 19 days, average. So you're looking at 19 days from now. Will he now? You're in a situation that, that, that where the season starts. Right. Will he be ready for week one? Probably not. Will he yeah. be ready for week two? I don't know. So that's um, that's something to watch, and of course they moved uh, Vinny Curry, uh, done for the year, done. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, right. I mean, so I mean, I uh, you know, I just it, it's it's like wow, you know, my head spinning. And uh, you know, as far as the you know the switch over to the Mets now, I mean, I, I you know when 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 someone I forgot who it was who asked you yesterday. You know, if you thought the Mets were going to make the playoffs, and and, and you were kind of hesitant, yeah, and you said, you know, that you, you think that they will. I mean, were were you really believing that, or was that just a? Uh, it was almost. A, it was uh, like, you know, I know it was almost like willing them to win, like <clears throat> wanting them to go on a run. And then yeah. after, after the, what I watched, that was a lifeless performance. It's not happening. It's not because it, it's just like what happened after they won the, uh, you know, the the game against uh, the Giants. The uh, uh, right, was it was it the Giants that they won that? Uh, yeah, that the twelve inning game. game right, yeah, game? right. Okay. I mean, that uh, same thing. You know, everyone figured, oh, they're going to go in, you know, maybe carry that over to uh, the the first Dodger game, and they, and they they lost what four to one or what something to that effect. I mean, you know, same thing. It was pretty. You know, I, I just don't. You know, and what was interesting was I was listening. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, uh, Craig and Evan yesterday were talking about, you know, what it, what it would potentially take. For the Mets, if they were to go on a run, mm-hmm. in order to you know uh, make the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they they said uh, uh, essentially it would have to be like a twenty nine and nine type deal before last night's game in order to you know have a realistic shot of of making the playoffs. And I'm like, they they didn't have a run like that all season so far. Why would I think that they're gonna have one now? I know. Did and then they... of course you know and then you know. Did they, last night's game, so <laughs> I know. Did they uh, cite this, their source that they had on that? 
Because I'm trying to look. Well, no, they, well, they were they were just uh, they, they were trying to factor in, you know, um, assuming that like Atlanta, you know, is only a couple of games over 500 with the rest of their schedule. Okay, I see, I see. And then and then based on yeah, based on strength of schedule, you know, for the for their last 38 games, mm-hmm. you know, now 37, uh, you know, just trying to come up with numbers. Uh, that that's what they were trying to figure. I think I think they were trying to hit 90 or 91 wins. Uh, that that's what they were coming up with. So yeah, no, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it, this was just something that they were doing among themselves. But you know, I mean, it, you know, hearing that, I'm like, oh, they, they you know, they, there's no way they're going to do that. Not not with the way they're performing. It's just, you know, the and, and it's it's such a shame, you know, because <clears throat> you know, I, I know you had Tim Healy on last night, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there, I'm delivering the papers now, and on the back of the paper of Newsday, you know, the there's uh, a big headline. I don't know if you've seen it yet. So it's hard to believe about the unlikeliness of DeGrom being out the rest of the season now, mm-hmm. which I, you know, and all my coworkers can attest to this, and I've, I've said it to Fleeks, you know, I'm not surprised at all. The, the minute they started, you know, pushing back his, uh, yep. uh, you know, his, his deadlines Two and weeks. everything. Yeah, yep. and, yeah. I, I knew right after the first one. I yep. said, he's not coming back. Yep. You know, so, uh, I mean, this really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And, and we're going to have another year down the tubes now without – a DeGrom performance in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I don't know if it's due to him and the team or one or the other, you know, because he's got to be at fault a little bit too. Uh, I think just because I don't know how honest he's been, right? Uh, you know, with, with some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, it's just, a, again, another year without the playoffs, and it's going to be another year without DeGrom in the playoffs. And because, you know, his window is, is going to start closing real soon. If it hasn't already. And, uh yeah, exactly, and you know, so I mean, what what have we got to look forward to? I don't know. I mean, if I, uh, uh, I don't know. I got to hope that the Jets can weather some of these injuries. At least, I, you know, September won't be that bad. And at the very least, if that doesn't go, then I got a couple of good Marvel movies coming out <laughs> until Island is thought up again. So yeah. there you go. There you go. All right, There's all right, Danielle, schedule. you're you're on again Friday. I'll talk to you then. So. All right, Eric. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, and so, just so everybody knows, the calendar. I. I as he was talking, I counted on my calendar, 19 days, the average time where a player is out with a concussion in the NFL, 19 calendar days, brings you to, if if it is a concussion, which sounds to me like it is, um, would be September 13th return date. And when you look compare that against the Jets' schedule, that is missing the Carolina game. Upcoming next week two, September 19th, six days later would be the New England game. So... If it's a concussion for Mekhi Becton. If. We don't know just yet. I hope that it's not, obviously. But we'll have to wait and see. And, you know, I I was thinking today, too, and and I was driving the other day. What is the craziest thing that you've ever seen happen in a baseball or a softball game? Because the reason why I asked that, why it was on my mind, that play with Rugnet Odor the other day where he called a timeout, Angel Hernandez, of all umpires, of course, granted it. And then Odor crushed a three-run home run that didn't count. Remember that? It just it made me think of a story that happened a while ago, many years ago, while I was umpiring a wreck softball game. I was in high school. It's something I'm never going to forget. And, yes, I was the Angel Hernandez in the situation, believe it or not. I'll explain. Coming right up. Your official station to talk Brooklyn Nets. The Fan on 1019 FM and the Odyssey app.
Welcome back. Carton in the morning here on The Fan. It's Demi Lovato, right? Yeah. What's wrong, with fan? I love Demi Lovato. Her music anyway, that is. Okay, so you guys, um, I, I asked you, inspired the other day by the Rugnetto Door home run that wasn't, I kind of was driving and kind of reflecting, and I want to ask you, and I'm asking Fleeks too, I already told him, he gotta, he's got to think of something. What is the craziest thing that you have seen happen? You know, I'm not talking about, like, people trying to run onto the field. Like, I'm going to give you an example. What's the craziest thing that you've ever happened on a baseball or a softball field? So, okay. Um, I want to tell you guys of not my most fond moment I've ever had on a field. And I've only seen it happen once since then. I was a junior in high school. I was umpiring a playoff World Series rec softball game in town. Me and my good friend at the time, we're still friends now. Her dad and her husband actually listened to the show. So, hi, John. Hi, Dylan. But, so me and her, we were the A team. I mean, I was the varsity shortstop. She was the varsity pitcher. This was easy money. We were going to make $50 each because it was a World Series game. I mean, that's a lot of money for a junior in high school for two hours of work. I was behind the plate. She was on the bases. The kids, they were like 10 or 11 years old, I guess. So, that's the two. there was a two-hour time limit, as most rec games do have. It was pre-agreed upon by all parties. And that is important because it's going to come back around. So, keep that in mind, the two-hour time limit. So, here's the game situation. The team at bat was mounting a comeback in the top of the seventh. They had the bases loaded, two outs. This is me, the umpire. There was this girl at bat. Ridiculously high-pressure situation for rec softball. Again, bases loaded, two outs, top of the seventh. Their team is making this insane comeback. Momentum is totally on their side. This girl swings the bat so early on a pitch that she actually spins around does a full 360 in the batter's box, makes contact with the ball on the backswing as she's twirling around. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. So I flinched a little bit. You know, I'm not used to being you know behind the plate. Like, as I flinched, I immediately, I put my arms up and I called a dead ball. I looked over at my friend, the base umpire. We agreed on it. Okay, and that was until... And there was like a, a, a weird quiet that just kind of settled on the field. Our travel ball coach, who is the town softball commissioner, he said very quietly, he's like, Danielle, that's a fair ball. And I looked down, and sure enough, the freaking ball, it came to a rest maybe like 18 inches in front of the plate, 16, 15 inches in front of the plate, in fair territory. He wasn't wrong. Have you ever seen that? I'm a 16-year-old me had never seen that before. And that is precisely when all hell broke loose. So that idiot girl who did the plie or whatever it's called at the plate heard him say that to me. She started chucking it down at first base. The rest of the 10-year-olds on the bases saw her running. They started running too. The catcher picked up the ball and, of course, overthrew first base. And that would have been the third out. That would have got me out of this whole ridiculous scenario. But no. They recorded an out somewhere. I think it was like second base. Two runs at that point had come in to score. Two runs, which now gave that team the lead. 
Kids were cheering. Parents were high-fiving. Then we had an umpire's coaches from both teams meeting on the field. We all decided, fine, I made a mistake. Don't kill me. I'm 16 years old. We're going to count the runs. So now the team that was in the field is now losing, which we all agreed upon, fine, but they were at least going to get a chance to bat in the bottom of the seventh, and we're going to you know, figure it out then. Maybe they had a chance to win it. No one was happy, but that was the compromise of the mistake I made. But wait, you guys remember that two-hour time limit? Well, the game in the chaos and the subsequent meeting after the chaos exceeded the time limit. So it wasn't my call. The commissioner, who I just mentioned, he stepped in and he was like, that's it, two-hour time limit, we got to call the game. And then, as anybody knows, the score then reverts back to the last full inning. So the team that took the lead in the chaos ended up losing the game because they were losing at the end of six innings. They were crying right there on the field. Every single one of those kids was crying on the field. The other team started celebrating. I was like, I could not wait to get out of there. I just hightailed it. I got my little red Dodge Neon, and I got out of there. And 17 years later, 17 years later, I still remember like it was yesterday. Probably my least proud moment ever on a field. So what is the craziest thing that you have seen or been a part of, Fleegs? I'll give you the one I've been a part of. And first of all, I do remember those time limit rules in Central Jersey. We had those. I've been on the winning end of those and the losing end. And just what a dumb rule. You get why it's in place, but when you're on the field, man, you can't stand it. I know. The weirdest one I was a part of, I'm pretty sure it was the bottom of the sixth inning or sixth inning because – there was an inning after this in a game. Uh, my team was down a run. I came up with the bases loaded, two outs, and I got hit by a pitch. And I started running to first, and I could see my teammate coming down from third. He's clapping. We think we tied the game. And the umpire calls me back. And I was confused because it, was, it wasn't a check swing situation or anything like that. Yeah, because that happened. Right. So, I saw and, that, and that tonight. That happens in baseball. You, yeah. So you could think that was it. And I said, what do you mean come back? He said, the ball didn't hit you. What? What, what do you what are you talking about? But it was ball four. Well, no, no, no. It was a two-two pitch. Oh, okay. And I was like, the ball clearly hit because it it hit off my foot and it bounced all the way down the third baseline. So there was a ricochet. Yeah, a big one, and okay. it made a sound that again, if the ball had either hit the dirt, it's not making that sound, and if it hit the dirt, it's not bouncing that far in that direction. It would have maybe come back, you know, towards the mound or gone right. back uh, towards the catcher. Right. It wasn't going almost straight down the third baseline because I'm a lefty. Mm-hmm. And I was not in a good mood. We were a little bit older. I was in eighth grade, so I was like 13 maybe at this mm-hmm. point. And it's the only time in my life I've ever been ejected from a game. <laughs> but this also, this umpire, this wasn't, like you, this wasn't a 16-year-old volunteer. This guy was an adult. And a man, yeah. And I went at him, and one of my teammates went at him, and even one of the coaches was, like, screaming at him. Not as bad as we were, yeah. but I cursed. I, it's the only time I've ever cursed at an umpire or a referee <laughs> where they were able to hear it. <laughs> I, we, I was furious because that, that was the tying run. And, I, yeah, it wasn't the seventh inning, but yeah. it was the sixth inning. Yeah. That was the tying run, and I was furious. I, and then the, my teammate ended up coming up. There were two outs, uh, so he inherited the 2-2 count. He grounded out a foot, whatever it was. Didn't strike out, put the ball in play. Wasn't enough. We lost the game, and I just had to sit there and watch. And that umpire... I saw him umpire many of our games after that, and I just always gave him a dirty look. I never, from that moment on, had any respect for that guy because how could you not tell that that ball 
hit right off my foot. Even the catcher knew because the catcher was somebody I knew from school. <laughs> yeah. And he said to me after the game, I don't know you. what he saw. Yeah. Yeah. Was there was, a base umpire? There was. Yeah, there might have been one. But sometimes in those games, like that, I was with my friend, and because it was the playoffs, there were two of us. Otherwise, it was just me no, by yeah, myself. Yeah, we had a lot of games. I mean, there might have been, but we had a lot of games where there was just the one, and he was behind the plate. Yeah. Right. Or sometimes you would have like a parent or assistant coach volunteering, not really. Not really there yeah. to be an umpire, but there to just help out if, you know, something was down the line or something crazy happened. Yeah. So if there was somebody, I don't think they were in the position of authority to step in and overrule the home plate ump. Angel Hernandez. Oh, and his name was Angel Hernandez. It, it might as well have been. I mean, that was an Angel <laughs> Hernandez, Joe West, C.B. Buckner kind of call. Oh. Because then just the way, you know, he shot me down and then my teammate and then the coach, like, oh. clearly everybody else on the field and in the stands and in the dugout knew that I got hit by the pitch. Because we all reacted. I went down to first. Immediate. Everybody started going up a base. Mm-hmm. We all knew that the ball hit off my foot, not the umpire. And, unfortunately, he was the only one that mattered. Oh, horrible. Horrible. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. And, and, and still to this day, it hit you. Oh, I know it hit. Listen, I felt it. I, it definitely hit me. Still feel it. It hit right off my big toe. I, you, you know what that feels like. <laughs> I know, I know. So anybody else, if you guys have some crazy stories like that, you know, actually there was another one. You spoke of being ejected. I've never been ejected from a game, but my dad was once. And he might be listening, so he might just text me now. But it was in high school. This was a high school game. We were playing our, like, division division rivals, you know, Cliffside Park. Like, okay. And it was a big game. And Ashley, I still forget. I don't want to say her last name, but she was the pitcher. I got a hit off her. Nice. Single. And I'm running to second base. And I'm a, I'm a smart base runner. And I was running, and, and it was a ground ball to second base. I obviously waited for the, you know, I waited long enough. She tries to, t- I say tries, she tries to tag me and misses me. I did one of those, like, matrixy moves, missed me. I was A hobby bias? Yeah, yeah. She didn't touch me. So I continued on my way to second, stood on the base. I was called out. I'm like, wait a minute, what? My dad asked the umpire. It wasn't much. All, all he said to him, if anybody knows the field in Cliffside Park, like right behind whatever school it is, school number three, whatever it is, um, it's like a, just a long fence. It's like it's a square field, and it, you, basically the parents are standing on the sidewalk looking through a fence. So my dad is like kind of hanging on the fence, and he was like, all he said was, what game are you watching? That was enough. The guy was like, get out of here. So my dad didn't know where to go now <laughs> watching the game. He wanted to watch the end of it, but he can't. So he ended up watching it from the car that he parallel parked right on the street. And the, how this wraps up is I went to Rampo College. And I'm playing. there was this girl that I was like sort of friends with in class. And she's like, oh, I'm from Cliffside Park. I'm like, oh, oh, what'd you, basketball? She played, I'm like, wait a second. Did you play softball? She was like, yeah. I was like. Oh, well, there was this one time she was like, oh, my God, that was you? I'm like, yeah. She goes, guess what? I played second base. I'm like, what? She goes, I said, do you remember that play? She said, yes, and I did not tag you. And I'm like, thank you. I knew that already. How funny is that, though? That's the thing. Look, You can look a lot of times the reaction of all the players on the field on both teams yes. and know what just happened. Yes. That can be a sign if you didn't see it. That's usually enough of a hint. Yeah. But years later, like, who, like, we met again. And we ended up becoming really good friends. We're not no longer friends anymore. But 
Yeah, that, that was like just a full circle moment. And she was like, that has to be one of the weirdest plays that she was ever involved in. So right. you don't forget the, anything like that. And we were freshmen. So it happened like a year or two before. It wasn't that long before. Crazy. Yeah, she, her name is Katie. I just, I can't believe that umpire tossing your dad for saying that. Yeah. I heard a lot of parents and players say a lot worse to umpires and stick around or referees in basketball games, the stuff that would get shattered from the stands. And now what I hear what parents might be like, I'm sure you know, at high school and rec level these days, I don't think you can umpire if that's going to be enough to send you over the edge and eject somebody. You want to know something? And I know we have to break, but I got to tell you this other story too. This was as a coach. This was maybe six years ago. We were playing, I don't even want to say the team name. Should I? Should I give the town? No, I don't know if I should give the town. We were playing a local team. Let's just put it that way. I'll tell you, after we hear how bad the story is, I'll tell you if you can say the team name. Okay, okay. So we were playing a local team, which we always play tight. It was a tight game, the whole thing, right? But before, you know, I have to give the lineup and everything before the game. And the umpire, he didn't sound like right. And I like kind of looked at him and he and he said, I'm deaf. And he has like a little card that he says, I'm I'm deaf. Okay. And fine, totally fine. He he's a great umpire, actually. He sees everything, clearly. He sees everything. And he makes great calls, et cetera. Okay. So there was a play, it was a plate to plate, close play, and it was the right call. And it was a call that did not benefit the other team. It benefited my team. I mean, the girl was out at home. It was bang, bang play, literally bang, bang play. She was out. The coach from the opposing team, and remember, the guy's deaf. So he's bending down to clean off the plate now because it was a, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs at this guy. And I'm sitting there like, the guy's deaf. Like, he can't hear you. And she's like, why aren't you turning around? Look at me. And I'm like, oh my God, like, he's deaf. He told you 30 minutes ago that he's deaf. And so he, he, he ends up standing up and looking at her and she's like in his face, pointing in his face, like, how did you, know, how did you miss that call? Blah, blah. I'm like, but he can't hear you, lady. And the, one, the parents on my team were getting it on video and they sent it to the athletic director, the whole thing. And I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not part of me. That's your own thing. But, and I didn't know until after that they did that. But yeah, crazy. That That's was crazy. Rough because, like you said, they, she knew already that, and I guess you can get caught up in the heat of the moment and forget during a game, but. Yeah. But all the parents. You would think once you, even if you forget and you first start yelling, as soon as you do for the first couple seconds and get no reaction, it would click in your brain, oh, that's right. And the parents on both bleachers were yelling at her. Right, they're telling you the same thing. So you're caught in so much of a fire that you can't even hear the other people telling you, hey, you got to relax. He's not hearing this. Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't think I would give out the team name. No. I'll tell you on the break then which team it was. But that that seems like something that might be Googleable. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right, actually. It's not hard. It's a pretty unique instance. Yeah. But that's crazy. So, and also, did you hear, I want to get your opinion on this, too. The Yankees are ditching their road grays or their pinstripes in, se- in, uh, in one series. I, I think it's going to be next year for a fashionable City Connect uniform. You know the Yankees have one of the classiest and timeless uniform sets of all time. And reportedly, they're, this is a quote, aggressively pursuing their own set of City Connect uniforms. So since it seems like it's a done deal, what would you guys like to see featured on the uniforms? You never know who's listening. So let's give the Yankees options and let's give the Mets options because I'm sure they're not too far behind with that idea. 
Give them their own ideas for City Connect uniforms. 877-337-6666. I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. <laughs> yes, throwing it back to Christina Aguilera. So today or yesterday now was the 22-year anniversary of this album coming no. out. No. Ways to make you feel old in five seconds. It's hard to make people like us feel old, but that can do it. Yeah, 22 years. Oh, my God. I was always a bigger Britney fan, though, I have to say. Were you? That's fair. Were you a bigger Britney fan? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But Christina Aguilera, talented, obviously. Obviously. So, quickly, quickly. And if you guys want to chime in at, uh, on any sort of baseball story or whatever, you guys can give me a call, 877-337-6666. But the... um. If you watched the Mets-Dodgers game over the weekend on TV, you saw that the Dodgers were wearing their City Connect uniforms, one of a few teams that, that did it for this season. They were the, the blue tops, blue bottoms. They had Los Dodgers and white script across the chest and on the front of the cap. And they, My favorite part was the, the blue spray paint detail on the jersey sleeves. So I looked at MLB's Twitter account, and they said of, of the uniforms, this is a quote, on the 40th anniversary of Fernando Mania, the Dodgers Nike City Connect uniform salute the team's connection with this Latino fan base. So, end quote there. So, the MLB is clearly following the lead of the NBA, who has done these jerseys for quite some years at this point. So, why I bring this up? Why does this matter to us? Well, the Yankees are reportedly aggressively pursuing their own iteration of these jerseys. And they were hesitant at first, because as you know, the Yankee jersey is and uniform is quite iconic. Actually, I'm wearing... Derek Jeter batting practice jersey right now, the blue one with the little two buttons on the top, you know. So I ask you, what would you like to see featured on a Yankees City Connect uniform or a Mets one? So for the Mets, Fleegs, you're a Mets fan. That's what I've gathered, right? And you're wearing a Mets hat. Okay, so for the Mets, here, here's what I would like to see. I would like them to do something like an ode to the polo grounds somehow, I don't know how, or play up the Apple idea, like the home run apple, right? Or like the big apple. I want I want that to be incorporated somehow on the uniforms. I think those are two really good ideas, actually. The apple or honoring the teams of the past. And you would want to maybe honor polo grounds, maybe throw Abbott's Field in there. Mm-hmm. But then it's weird because the Giants and the Dodgers still play. They're in the National League. Exactly. But the apple is more unique to the Mets. Right. And it's something that can just be like their kind of signature. Although I would say, like, if they're going to come out in red jerseys, I don't know if I'd like that. No, yeah. I was thinking, like, red piping. Something. I don't know. They just, like, I, if I was a Yankee fan and I found out they were doing these, I would hate it. Like, I just, I don't love all, like, when the Knicks played their new ones in the playoffs. I hated them. They're horrible. Horrible. I I don't want to see it. We don't want to see it as fans. Like, the Mets, I understand. They're more little brother. Yeah. They're going to do this gimmicky stuff. Yeah. I get it. For the New York Yankees, that stuff should never, ever ever be in play. I know, but they uh, they want it. They were hesitant at first, and then they changed course. Yeah, I mean, listen, they'll sell them because people who like them are yeah, going to buy them. Right. I've seen people walking around wearing the All-Star Game jerseys and hats from this year, the ones that we all hated Horrible. and looked at and said, Horrible. why would anybody ever wear that? Well, yeah. people do. I can't. There's a lot of people out there. You'll find some who want to buy that and wear it. But, I mean, it's the New York Yankees. There are only two uniforms yeah, that they should ever wear in but, a game. But then you got the Boston Red Sox who did do it, too. They were wearing yellow and blue ones. I mean, they're, they're I, iconic, I, I too. I did not like those. You know what? They they made a mistake. The Yankees should not make the mistake. They're they're like the, still the icon. I they're know. the most iconic franchise 
in all of sports. Yeah. They should not be wearing anything other than those two uniforms. Maybe they do this stuff that's connected to the rest of Major League Baseball for certain holidays mm-hmm. and certain colors. Players that's one weekend, thing. Right. right. The Players Weekend, everybody was Memorial doing that. Memorial Day with the camouflage. Right, right, right. Yeah, the yeah. stuff like that with the holidays. It's mm-hmm. part of the game now. Mm-hmm. It's not that big a deal. But, man, if they're going to design a complete— Listen. I mean, what do you what do you do that's not going to bother a large portion of the Yankee fan base? Okay, so I have an idea because they're going to do it. It sounds like they're going to do it. So here's my idea. I would like the Yankees to in- include some sort of, like, ode to the Bronx, right? But, like, the Bronx, like, my grandparents, when they had the uh, tomato gardens, you know, in the Italian section of the Bronx. So here's what I would like to do. Incorporate maybe a f- Italian flag on the sleeve, but then I was thinking about this, like the Los Dodgers. You know, like when you play t-ball, you had the script. Okay, so put like Yankees, like maybe this blue jersey even, and put like Yankees across the front, like the kind of Yankees from the white Yankees logo with the baseball bat and the hat on it. That yeah, that scripted that. Yankees. Yeah, you can do that, but but I want some sort of like maybe a, a stitching of like the Italian flag, green, white, red, like on it too, like. I don't know. I think that would be like a cool little ode nod to like, you know, the Arthur Ev Bronx. And, you you know, it could be. But I would imagine a lot of Yankees who are not Italian I know, are going to look that. at the Yankees wearing green and red yeah. and just hate every second of it. And but, I can't blame them. No, but I'm thinking like, like the blue jersey, like what I'm wearing now and like the stitching on here, make it like green, red and white. The, subtle, like a oh, subtle so it's not, Right. It's not the entire jersey. I get yeah. you that. Yeah, that's not as bad. I just again, I'm I'm always going to think whenever I see the Yankees wearing something else. I'm going to think it's weird. And even though I'm yeah. kind of used to the Knicks wearing hate those their jerseys, jerseys, they're so horrible, it still bothers me. In the playoffs, they're wearing them. It's a home game at Madison Square Garden. I know. And they're wearing that garbage. Awful. That it's Awful. Some teams should not ever do that. Like, I'm a co- big college football fan. Yeah. I hate that a lot of the teams that are the classic teams have worn these other jerseys. One good thing about Penn State, and there's been a lot of bad about Penn State, but they have kept the, to their traditional jerseys i from certain institutions i don't want to see anything new it's not necessary some are iconic it's associated with you the yankees the pinstripes the road grays they're basic they're perfect leave them alone you know what it's about it's money the big old dollar and they're gonna sell and you're gonna see people walking around manhattan you're gonna be sitting next to someone on the subway (laughs) and just looking over at them and shaking your head like i was doing the guy with the all-star jersey and hat the other day yeah well, if it has some sort of Italian something on it, I'm first in line to buy it. <laughs> All right, let's go to calls. 877-337-6666. Maybe you have a crazy baseball story or you have an idea. And I'm going to take some notes here. What you guys would like to be included on your City Connect jerseys if you're a Yankee fan or if you're a Met fan. Let's go to Scott in Buffalo. Scott, you're up on the fan. Hey, how you doing? Great, uh, how are you? I am a I am a fellow umpire as well. I do rec league ball. All I've right. Been in high school. I've done a little bit of everything. Um. Parents, <laughs> how do I explain this? Uh, the better the the better the level of play is, the less the parents get involved. The less, and basically, in my opinion, the game polices itself. The better the players are. Honestly, mm-hmm. the worse they are, the crazier the plays are. The more they don't know the rules, the more you have more pr- more you have problems with parents and coaches. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Crazy plays. I had a play this year, uh, first and second, no outs, slow pitch, um, women, slow pitch, women. These are over, these were, these are over, these were, it's a rec league, over 30 year old, over 30 year old women. I play, I play in one of those. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the Phillies. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, this was like the third game of the day. It was like a little bit of a tournament. Okay. Um, 
So it, it, boiling hot outside, mm-hmm. and may, maybe I, maybe my eyes were going. I just first and second, no outs. I always yell. I always let them know infield fly rule right. is in effect. Right. Okay. Pop up on the infield. I yell routine play. I yell infield fly rule. Batter is out. The runner from second is off the base. The runner from first is off the base. Okay. They both forget that they they must know that they that they don't have to tag up but they don't come back to the base the shortstop catches the ball throws to second the shortstop to second mm-hmm. tags the runner so now we got another route even though i don't have to tag up they still can be tagged yes if he does tag them then the, the second baseman is smart enough to throw back the first base triple play the runner just standing there. no way. A triple play <laughs> I had a triple play and i'm thinking to myself this is supposed to protect you from that. Right. They don't <laughs> oh, know the man. That's so bad. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> they don't, a lot of them just don't know the rules, especially in, like, this is a rec league, so it's the level right. of play is uh, mm-hmm. questionable. Mm-hmm. So, like mm-hmm. I said, the better the level of play, I, I've done some games with some under-18 fast pitch girls. I couldn't hit this ball with a shovel. These <laughs> girls are unbelievable how good they are. I know, I know. But the, the, the level of play, the worse the level of play, the less they don't know the rules, yep. the more problems you have. Yep. And, All and right, I, take care. Have a good night. Scott, good call. Thanks for that. And I used to do, like, the little, little kids. Oh, those games were brutal. And then you expand the strike zone because you're going to be there for five days, and the coach is like, what are you expanding the strike zone for? I'm like, dude, your kid hasn't hit anywhere on the plate within four inches left or right. I have to do it. Well, so we're going to be – you want to be here until next week? Fine, we can do that too. Yeah, Jeremy, on the Garden State Parkway, is that, Jeremy? Yeah, good morning. How are you? What exit are you at? Uh, 105. I'm, a, I'm an engineer for transit, getting off the Long Branch. Okay, okay, 105. Got it. Gotcha, gotcha. So, let me, let me paint this picture for you. In 1994, we were playing Woodbridge in the regionals for the Little League World Series. Mm-hmm. And we were playing up in Augusta, New Jersey, yep. at, the, at yep. the Skylands Park. I was there. Yes, and uh, so we're playing Woodbridge, and the winner moves on. And it's the top of the seventh. We're up 3-2, bases loaded. Every good story starts with bases loaded. So the bases loaded, one out. I'm playing second. Mm-hmm. Line drive to short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we turn a double play. We go off the field. We won the game. The outfield umpire says, safe. The guy at third scores. The guy in second moves on to third. And... He said that you know, I never touched second base. Oh. Lost my mind. What? I knew I hit it. Yep. And I knew I hit it. I got ejected. My coach got ejected. Uh, we ended up losing the game. Woodbridge went on to play. Tom's River. And so on, so on. It was a heartbreak. Even the Star Ledger back then wrote an article about it saying how the, the Skylanders, that was our team name, mm-hmm. you know, got screwed. Wow. What a story it was that is. Day. Yeah. Clear as day. And even back in the day, they had a neighborhood play. If you were somewhat close to the base, mm-hmm. they would call it out. Nothing. Nothing. High stakes yep. Little League. That's what it is. <laughs> High stakes Little League. 13-year-old breaking their hearts. It was it was miserable. Yeah, that, I was the one breaking 13, 10-year-old hearts. But Jeremy, how many how many years ago would you estimate that was? About? 1994. So, uh, what was so that? 25 tw- years ago? 26 years ago? That was exactly 27 years ago. Yeah. How, old old you, yeah wow. how, how old do you feel right now? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I teach my kids, two daughters who play softball, my son plays Little League, uh-huh. and I teach them about heartbreaks. You know, umpires are human, they're, they're, they're normal people like us, and they make mistakes. Yep. But 
That was brutal because <laughs> we think we could have won. We could have represented New Jersey in the yeah. World Series. Yeah. We and were then, that good. And then we would have never had the story of Todd Frazier being from Tom's River and standing next to Derek Jeter. Could have been you. It could have been us, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. Uh, that's frustrating. Jeremy, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Have a good one. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Oh, man. All right, can we do can we do Alex real quick before we? Yeah, all right, Alex, you've got an idea for a Yankees City Connect jersey. Tell me. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So I saw um, I could I could post the article. It's on uh, fansided.com. dot com. The the uh, someone proposed the idea for the Yankees uh, alternates, which I thought was pretty cool. Okay, what is it? What is it's, it? Give us a little description of it. It's like um, like an off white the the home uniforms like an off white. Mm-hmm. With um, uh, like a cream color, you okay. know, mm-hmm. and with, with the NY logo, a la the the way it is on the pinstripes, except there's no pinstripes. Okay. And then the the uh, road uniforms, like a, a navy blue, except it says New York. It's it's like the um the batting practice, except um like the spring training, mm-hmm. except it says New York across the front, um, a la the uh. The road uniforms and it, the the New York is in gray, gray color, and I think it has gray pants. Yeah. I, I could go back and look. Maybe I'll post it on your Twitter or something. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Do, can you do that so I can retweet it then and everybody can take yeah. a look at it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea. Um, uh-huh. I, I, Alex, thanks for the call. I, I like the cream idea because I do have I have an authentic Yogi Berra jersey and it's not white. It's pinstripes and it's it's not white. It's cream colored. So. I almost kind of like that. I think it's from 19... I'm trying to remember the tag on the bottom. 1956, I want to say. Um, but that would be a cool little... O- Sports Radio 101.9 FM. The Fan. Welcome back to the final hour of McCartan in the Morning here on The Fan. Welcome to those of you guys. Good morning to those of you guys that are just waking up. Maybe you're getting in your car to go to the train or commute into work, whatever. I'm happy to have you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Maybe you're a night owl. You're on your way to bed. Maybe you got me tuned in there too. So thank you. I appreciate it. If you guys want to get aboard, you guys know the number, 877-337-6666. I'll be taking you guys up till 5 a.m. exactly. We've got the Al and Jerry warm-up show. Al Dukes, Jerry Recco coming your way at 5. Of course, followed by... uh, the Boomer and Geo, of course. I mean, do we even need an introduction for the show? The morning show, Boomer and Geo, coming your way at 6 a.m. So it's been a, a very interesting night here, you guys. The New York Yankees, oh, my God. That that, that game, on, I guess we could say last night at this point, that game last night, I know I have no nails left. And I think the way in which that game unfolded, there doesn't seem to be a lead that is comfortable enough for this Yankees, I'm talking back into the bullpen. It's just not comfortable enough. I mean, it was 5-1 the other night. You're biting your nails with the world of Chapman up, you know, throwing and warming up in the bullpen, coming into the game. You're like, oh, God, here we go again. And it, it was, I should have played that song for you guys before. Here we go, here we go again, because the world of Chapman takes the ball, works himself into an impossible jam. I mean, impossible the score at that point was five to three, and you're like, okay, two runs, still not enough for Oldest Chapman, not enough for him in a high leverage situation. He ends up bases loaded. He okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but he should have the one at bat that's that's really crushing me is that there was a pinch hitter 
that he walked on four straight pitches. Four straight pitches, walks a pinch hitter, Colt. The guy's a 240 lifetime hitter, walks him. Okay, really? World Chapman ends up walking a batter home. So now the score is five to four, and he's being yanked. I mean, unbelievable. The, the, the Yes Network camera guy did a great job because at one point in the ninth inning, before it even got to this point, he panned to the Yankee dugout, and you saw Brett Gardner chewing the inside of his lips. You had Tyler Wade running his hands through his hair in the dugout, and that, that was threatening to load the bases, and that was what every Yankee fan was feeling at that moment in time. So the batter that he walked was Soler, made it 5-4 Yankees, and that was enough. Enough was enough. So as Chapman slouched off the mound, the home stadium cut the lights. The crowd started serenading the Yankees, and more specifically, Aroldis Chapman himself with the oh, and then the beating drum. Emergency sirens were sounding in the stadium, and and Wandy Peralta is coming in from the bullpen. He's slapping himself in the face. I mean, he had to come in there and and save. The, the, the close for the closer. Save the game for the closer, Wandy Peralta, to stop the hemorrhaging at that point. He needed to get one batter out. One singular batter comes in, bottom of the ninth. This is this is real. This is not a movie. Bottom of the ninth, walks into a bases-loaded situation where one run has already scored. Two outs, and who's at the plate? The Braves' hottest hitter, number three, batting number three, Freddie Freeman. The reigning National League MVP at the plate. Crowds chanting, Freddie, Freddie. This is real life. This actually happened. So Freeman in his career. I mean, I don't I don't know. I should have jumped on the Zoom call, but what made Aaron Boone press the button and say, Wandy, it's your turn? Because when you look at the numbers, Freeman's three for five against him. I know that's not a huge sample size, but that would be enough for me to say, like, uh, let me let me look through the Rolodex and find somebody else. So, Freeman, what an epic at bat. Worked the count to 3-1. Fouled off four consecutive change-ups from Wandy Peralta. Some tapped foul. Some were ripped foul. And on that final one, did you see Peralta? I love this. Marcus Stroman start, started this. Peralta on his leg kick, kind of hesitated a second just to kind of throw off the timing of Freddie Freeman. I love it. I love it's It's such an art. Pitching is an art. And that is one of the ways that it could be considered an art form. He, he kicked his leg up, held it there for a second, tried to mess up the timing, and he didn't. I was hoping that the whole sequence was just to set up a, a fastball low and outside. That's what I was hoping. Then Peralta and Sanchez, they had a different... They called for the fi- a, fi- a fifth changeup in a row. Five changeups in a row. You would think at that point that Freeman would have timed it, you know? He got some good wood on that fifth changeup. But you're watching and you're watching the commentary. It's far. It's high. It's far. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I literally had all these, like, notes already ready to go. And I'm like, if this game... If they walk this game off, I'm about to throw my computer across the room right now. Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo, they're converging in the in the alley, in the in the hole, in the gap. And it was Joey Gallo who looked it into his glove. Ending the bottom of the ninth inning 
soap opera for the New York Yankees. Exhale, Yankees fans. Exhale, Mets fans, too, because the Yankees also helped them out. Now, so right now, if you look at the standings, the Yankees are four games back from the Rays in the AL East. And then the Mets had gained a half a game, even though they lost miserably, which we'll talk about in a second. But the Mets gained a half a game in the NL East. They are five, six and a half games back in the East, and they are seven and a half games back in the wild card. So what a game. And, you know, the Yankees obviously extended, everybody knows by now, their, oh, their winning streak to 11 games. The last time that the New York Yankees had an 11-game win streak was the year 1985. I wasn't even I wasn't even alive. So this is the longest Yankees win streak in my lifetime. Since 1985 they have not won 11 straight games. And in case you're wondering, don't google it, you don't have to google it. The franchise record. You know the Yankees are we were just talking about the storied franchise, right? The whole thing. The, the Franchise record for most consecutive games won by the New York Yankees, 19. 19 consecutive games won. And that streak was broken, I believe, in the year 1947. So a real long time ago as well. But this is the longest Yankee win streak of my lifetime. And then there was a caller before that that asked what, what Anthony Rizzo's been doing. And you know what? That was something I wanted to look at. And while he was on the phone, I, you know, we were talking, I edited it up. Anthony Rizzo, out of, he was, he's, out of his last couple at-bats, he's been one for 18. That spans one, two, three, four, five games. One for 18. But the difference in the second half Yankees is that that can be absorbed like an amoeba into this lineup. It's amazing. Prior... The first half Yankees, and I'm like, oh my God, the guy's a waste. He's one for 18. You bench him. Send him back to the, you know, A ball. But he's one for 18, and it can be absorbed. And the Yankees are on an 11 game winning streak. And since uh, Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo have joined the Yankees, since they've been part of this whole magical run that the Yankees are on, because it is, you're, if you're a Yankee fan, you, you're, you're okay to be excited about this. Since the trade deadline, since Rizzo and Gallo have come here, the Yankees are 12-1. and 12-1. and one. And lost in all this craziness. Aaron Judge has a 16-game on-base streak. So the Yankees are just clicking, literally, on all cylinders. And it's like, Rugnet Odor, you're going to hit a home run now. And it's DJ LeMayhew. It's, like, it's a different guy that's going to step up and put the game away every single night, it seems. And then you, then you look at the Mets. I don't mean to giggle or laugh here, but then you look at the Mets. I was just willing the Mets to win. Willing them to go on a, a, just as a magical run as the Yankees are. I thought that the momentum from that last L.A. game was going to carry over. They're, they're riding high. Everybody's talking about Baez and Lindor. They're going to be playing together for the first time ever, you know, on a major league team. I mean... How bad did they look in that? They looked lifeless. They looked bad. They ended up losing the game 8-0. Okay? And, and, and multiple things stick out to me from this game. I think before the game even started, Luis Rojas put a lineup out there that had, he had to make a decision on a left fielder, and he had two to choose from, Jeff McNeil or Dom Smith. 
It's a two-choice, multiple-choice equation here, and he picked the wrong one. He picked Jeff McNeil. Why? I'm not sure because they had a pitcher. I, can't, I can never remember this guy's name. The pitcher that they had on the mound for his name is Sammy Long. Left-handed pitcher, Sammy Long for the Giants. Dom Smith, I briefly, and that's all it took, was a brief look at comparing their stats against left-handed pitchers. Dom Smith was leaps and bounds above and beyond better than Jeff McNeil against left-handed pitching. Like, it, like I didn't even have to look twice. And yet, he was on the bench. And Jeff McNeil's in left field. I don't understand. I don't get it. Why he would have chosen Jeff... So, th- so the Mets, right from the get-go, were behind the eight ball. They were in trouble for the game even started because Luis Rojas put them there. And I said this, eventually... I might have to circle this on my page and come back to this eventually when he gets fired because that is just one thing that I just don't understand. And and then I know I'm going to start keeping track of things now. Like, wait a second. Why did he do that? What was the reasoning behind that? And this is just one of, I'm sure, many that we can add to that list. If you guys have something specific enough like that, not like, oh, Luis Rosas, he sucks. No, if you have something specific just like that, you can call up and tell me that too and we can add it to the list. And eventually when the ax comes down, We'll uh, we'll go through a few of these. Then the defense, Mets defense was abominable. It was horrible. I mean, listen, I understand that physical errors they happen. They do happen. It's part of the game. But you had a Pete Alonso physical error in in the, I think it was the third inning. Bob of the ball recovered and went to shovel past the the ball over to first base, and Tyler McGill is like, like where is he? His initial, you know what his initial read was. His initial read was to back up a throw, a potential, a potential throw to the plate. I'm like, wait a minute, that uh, that a mental mistake drives me up the wall. That's just poor preparation, not knowing the situation, and lo and behold, the runner was safe because Tyler McGill couldn't get there in time. Oh, oh, that run didn't end up scoring, but there were two instances later on that. The runner did score on on just stupid plays. That was two runs right there. So I know it was 8-0 and it, it ultimately it didn't matter. But, you know, those kind of things change complexions of games. Especially early. There was one in, that, that was the one in the third. There was one in the top of the fourth. And there was, a, you know, top of the eighth. Maybe the game was gone by then. But still, the third and the fourth, you know, the game's young at that point. Baez was that one. He play, tried playing a ball with his, his bare hand. A moving ball with his bare hand when he had plenty of time to be able to glove it, transfer it, and throw it at first base. Like, I don't understand. So, my, my point being this. If you are a professional baseball team on life support after a catastrophic free fall like the Mets currently are in, you cannot be making mistakes like this to the best team in baseball. Especially when you... Score, in in terms of uh, runs per game, the Mets are second to last only to the tanking Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, that's brutal. You can't be making mistakes. Like you're not good enough to overcome these mistakes. I feel like I'm talking to my team after a game. You're not good enough to overcome these mistakes. And then the final point I want to leave you on is this. I don't know. Where this got lost in the analytics department of the New York Mets 
and therefore Tyler McGill. But the Giants have a league. They entered the series with a league-leading 867 OPS on fastballs, specifically. I told you guys yesterday, I hope that the Mets pitcher's secondary stuff is working. Well, we we didn't even figure that out because they didn't, rarely went to it. Tyler McGill, I looked at his stat cast, the pitch selection. And, and this is not an exact science here because I, I counted them by hand, you know, and the little icons are on top of each other. But, it, listen, McGill gave up 11 hits, seven earned runs, and it was like freaking home run derby there at City Field. Four home runs he gave up. So if you notice on that, that, that pitch chart, it's sprinkled with little red dots. Those indicate fastballs. So again, my best estimation, my, my count, the whole thing, they're on top of each other a little bit. You know, they overlap. But of the 74 pitches that Tyler McGill threw, only 26 of them were not fastballs. So I did some percentages. And again, these are rough numbers. He threw a fastball 65% of the time. I knew going into this game that you shouldn't really feed the, Gi- the Giants a steady diet of fastballs. I don't know how the Mets didn't know that. And his season average of throwing fastballs is 57, so it was actually even up. He had no game plan to go against these San Francisco Giants. None. So then sometimes I surprise myself. I'll leave you at this before we break for commercial. Sometimes... I surprised myself. So what I did was, I was curious. I, I went back and I was like, okay, of these four home runs, just curious how many of them came on a four-seam fastball. Fitting with the theme, right? So the first one, Brandon Belt's first one, it was a slider. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was a slider that didn't break. I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. But Mike Yastrzemski's home run off Tyler McGill, a four-seam fastball. Lamonte Wade's home run off Tyler McGill, a four-seam fastball. And in, in, in some sort of, I think of like the gif or gif of, of that guy from that movie, uh, I think A Beautiful Mind, where he's got all the equations flying around his head. Tyler McGill and Patrick Mazika had the d- equations flying around their head, and they actually decided that when Brandon Belt came back to the plate, after giving up these home runs off of four-seam fastballs, that they were going to, they actually decided this, that they were going to, Feed Brandon Belt four seam a steady diet of four seam fastballs, and he caught up to the fourth one. I mean, you can't make this up. It's just gross under preparing, I guess, or just not being good enough could be too. But when you look at Taiwan Walker and after him, it's Carlo Car- Carlos Carrasco's turn. I mean, Walker's got one, two, three, four other pitches he can throw other than a fastball. I mean, a cutter, he's only used 3% of the time this year. But, okay, so he's got at least three other pitches that he's gone to and and feels comfortable with going to. Carlos Carrasco, it's Tyler McGill 2.0. It's going to be ugly. Bet the over. (laughs) Because Carrasco throws a fastball 54% of the time. McGill entered with 57% of the time. He, He can't make this up. I wonder if someone from the Mets is listening right now. Please. Stop throwing the Giants fastballs. Thank you. If you want to get back into this, that's the one way to do it. I'm telling you how to do it. Ugh. Okay, well, that's that. I've set the table, reset the table for you guys. Yankees, Mets, 
Your calls, 877-337-6666. Coming up. The fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, Okay, Google. Play WFAN. Got Lady Gaga coming back from break here. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan on this Wednesday morning. Oh, Siri just activated. Sorry. Um, it was. It's an exciting time for New York Yankees fans and not such an exciting time for Mets fans. I got a, a DM on Twitter from uh, Mike Uren, and I had asked you guys earlier because the Yankees are, are full steam ahead on these City Connect uniforms, so it seems as though they are. So we're giving him some ideas. So I got Mike Irwin. He he said uh, for the Yankee uniforms, I'm kind of going to paraphrase here, but how about an outline of all the Yankee greats like Ruth, DiMaggio, Mantle, Gehrig, Jeter, so you can tell by the outline who they are. I kind of like it. I, I almost want to kind of like raise it because it made me think of the cleats that Aaron Judge has been wearing with the uh, the retired numbers, you know, in the circle with the pinstripes and the numbers. That would kind of be cool. I can kind of dig that. Again, we, Fliegelman and I, are against it. But if it had to happen, which it sounds like it's going to happen, I kind of like that idea. And he said he's going to uh, – he said he wishes he can draw it. <laughs> Maybe you graphic designers out there can get, a, get on, on, a, on a project. And then, I, and then uh, the caller before, Alex, he did send me the, the mock-ups that he saw. I did retweet them. You guys can take a look at them as well. And I also got another tweet. Oh, man, I want to see it right in the notification. If You guys can tweet me if you don't want to call. At, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Um, yeah, at Shell Daddy said Chapman is unreliable. And Britain was great in his last outing, but may have to have surgery now. Well, we'll have to wait and see for that. But looks like Wandy and Loisaga should be the closers. Wandy Peralta and Loisaga. So, um, yes, I think the Yankees are at the point where it's like, okay, it's August 25th. We got to start having tryouts for closing because Earl Chapman can't seem to get it done. And I know he was great early in the season. And I really think that that spider tech crackdown really destroyed him probably physically, you know, his fingers and the grip on the ball and stuff, but also mentally, he does not have confidence in his fastball. It's clear. It's clear as day. I talked to Matt Blake two weeks ago, and he told me the same thing two weeks ago, and it hasn't been corrected. So I don't know, based on that timeline, if it will be corrected in time for the postseason. So for right now, I think you you put Chapman in 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 low-leverage situations, bring him in in the seventh inning or the eighth inning even, if you don't want to demote him all the way to the seventh. Seventh or eighth inning, put him in there, let him get his confidence again because – then he'll he, he'll know in the back of his mind, okay, if I screw this up, at least we have, you know, two more times at bat with this lineup, the chances of us scoring are, are greater. Or he can say to himself, okay, at least if I screw this up, the guys behind me, you know, Wandy Peralta did a great job on Tuesday night, last night. So maybe he can feel a little bit like a safety net of those guys behind him. Because the Yankees, I'm telling you right now, are not going to make it out of the first round of the postseason if Errol Chapman keeps, I mean, there no, doesn't seem to be a lead that's just, I don't know, that, that that's big enough, I, you know? And, and, and I told you I was going to get to it, and, and let's do it now. The NFL joint practices, 
I'm not a fan. Oh, overall, I am not a fan of them. So let's think about this critically from a different couple different angles here. There was a tweet from from Jordan Renan, got me thinking critically about these con- this concept of these practices and et cetera. So he said. The tweet from Jordan Renan said this. The Giants will not play. This is from, like, I guess last week. Giants will not play quarterback Daniel Jones for or most of their starters, including the offensive line, in their preseason game Sunday versus Cleveland per sources. And this is the sentence. This after they got a good week of work in during joint practices with the Browns. That's the sentence. So let's look at this from a few different perspectives. From a fan perspective. Remember. It seems as though this is the new norm, right? Teams are going away for at least one of them. So when the practices in their own facilities are open up to fans, like think of Florham Park or um, in the Meadowlands, right? When they are open, these fans are going to miss out on going because a week of them is going to be at at an away facility. And then when they come back, it's going to be like, I don't know, overcrowded, (laughs) And think about it. It kind of cuts cuts okay, the kids. It's all about the kids. And the kids going back to school are not going to really, they're going to be missing a week of training camp to go and see their their idols. The intimate feel is gone because then they're going to have to have more people in there to kind of accommodate for it, right? So the other thing is, I just think that these fans are just, fan perspective, I'm saying, these fans are missing out on just the, the whole game day experience. Because I know most of the time that fans are allowed to go to these joint practices. But as a fan, nothing for me replaces the MetLife parking lot festivities, the walking into the stadium, the hearing the sound system, smelling the different foods. You know, it's just, there's just an excitement. There's a buzz inside that stadium that isn't able to be replicated elsewhere. I think you guys can all agree with that. And then my friend, she's a huge Jet fan. She took her son to the Jets-Eagles joint practice on Tuesday in Florham Park. They had fun. I mean, they had the games for the kids and the setup. But, you know, I don't know. To me, Florham Park just doesn't replicate East Rutherford for me. So as a fan, I'm going to say I'm not, I'm not liking it from a fan perspective. But as a player, especially if I was like a bubble player trying to make the team, trying to make the practice squad, I would love it. I mean, there's only so much as a player you can show your coaching staff while doing drills at practice. So if you put me in a, in a scrimmage scenario, I could show you not just what I can do physically, what, I, what my mental capabilities are as well. And whatever that would be, you know, checking down, um, uh, do, performing uh, pre-snap reads as a quarterback, or maybe you're a linebacker adjusting, you know, you know all that stuff can be on display in these practices if you're a player especially a bubble player. And also as a player, I, w- I, I know in the back of my mind that not only am I auditioning for my own team, but in effect, I would be trying out for the other coaching staffs of the other two teams that we practice against and then play against in a game. So the other coach can see how I prepare and practice and how it translates to my game. Preseason game, that is. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. So... There's plenty to give, plenty of information to give to opposing coaches from an evaluation standpoint. But the one thing I would be worried about is injury. But, you know, that can happen anywhere, anytime. You just saw Mekhi Becton, head-to-head collision, vomited on the field, was taken off the field. Looks like he has a, con- a concussion. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to speculate. 
That's what it looks like to me. I mean, it just it happens. Things like that happen. It happened to Carl Lawson. Ruptured his Achilles. Done for the year in one of these practices. So that's the one thing. But otherwise, so many benefits from a player perspective. From a coaching perspective, now we can look at this. It's, it's a lot like the player's perspective. As a coach, I would love these practices. I would love them. It gets your team on the road so you can start to establish some sort of, um, you know, regimen and, and routine. You get to evaluate your players against different competition because it gets real boring real fast when you have to keep going up against the same colored jerseys every day in practice. You get to, who was it? Um, one of the ex-Giants was on TV talking about how, or on the Big Blue Kickoff podcast, I guess it was. I don't know. But something I was listening for from the Giants, and you're like, and, the, and he was like, how many times, it was an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, one of the two of them, how many times did I get to know exactly what my teammate was doing right across the line for me? I mean, it was, it was almost like scripted. You know, you can figure it out before it even happens. So this is a good chance to get a good look at guys in different situations, different competition. And then, same idea, but now you're the evaluator. You could be evaluating guys for your practice squad. Or maybe you're not happy with your depth at X position. So you're kind of using us as a scouting mission to find some guys that can fill the, fill the holes for you guys. Maybe... One more perspective we can look at this from, and these are the the joint practices that I am just not a fan of. Front office, team point of view. Again, for the third time, it's good from an evaluation standpoint. We talked about that. But it also has the potential for the team to lose money. So let me ask you guys. Let me pose this question. Would you go to a preseason game as a fan if you knew before you even got there, before you even purchased the tickets, that the starters on your team were not going to be playing? Would you go? Would you, I don't know, pack up the car, pack up the kids, drive to MetLife Stadium or whatever, take the train to MetLife Stadium, go through that whole thing if you knew your starters, whatever team you're a fan of, were not going to play? I'm just going to go ahead and, and venture to guess, probably not. Which then translates to less dollars spent, right? Concessions, parking, merchandise. It might, it might. I don't know how this all works out. I'm not pretending to know, but it, it might have the potential to hurt the bottom line, especially coming off a pandemic shortened, I mean, a pandemic season with no fans. But maybe conversely, if you knew that the starters were going to get some time, you might go. You might spend your money. So I want you guys to tell me. Am I off the mark in stating that the fans are the ones that miss out with all these joint practices? I mean, ultimately, I I don't like them. That's my opinion. I want to get yours coming up. 877-337-6666. Get aboard. Fleegs is looking for your call. I'm Danielle McCartan with you until 5 a.m., the warm-up show on The Fan. The home of Giants football and Yankees baseball is WFAN, 1019 FM and the Odyssey app. Well, we got some sunshine in our pockets. Not yet, everybody. The sun is still sleeping. 
Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan. I got a suggestion uh, in my in my Twitter DMs from Vito. Uh, I believe, Vito, you're, you're in Vegas, I think. Vito in Vegas. He says, Coach, what about bringing Luis Heel up and transition him to a closer? Good suggestion, right? Because clearly the Yankees are, are in need of a closer, right? And we'll get to your calls in a second. 877-337-6666. I said, you know, that to me, it sounds like it could be the Jabba Chamberlain experiment all over again. So what I said back to him was like, I would want to see more of a sample size from Luis Heel in a starting role before I made any decision about moving him. Because, I mean, he, if Luis Heel, he's pitched, uh, what, total at the major league level, 15 and two-thirds innings. I mean, he's got great stuff. So I don't know if I would yet kind of go down the Jabba Chamberlain Route. I, I know it's happened that that transitions have been successful from starting pitcher to closer. Sure. But I don't know. I just think the Yankees totally, at the time too, they totally ruined Jabba Chamberlain. Because think about it. The mentality of a starting pitcher, you know, taking the mound every five days, et cetera, right? Typically low leverage situations early on in games. It's just a completely different mindset from a guy coming in expecting, like, Wandy Peralta. I mean, that is the, the highest pressure situation possible in the away ballpark, and he got it done. Miraculous. So, I don't know if I would do that just yet with Luis Heel. I think I think your closer is Jonathan Loisega. Or you do a Loisega Peralta. You do Chap- maybe Chapman Loisega Peralta. Chapman, Loisega, Green. Because Jonathan Loisega, over the last 12 games, he's allowed only one run. One! In 14 and two-thirds innings. Loisega, over the last 12 games, .61 ERA. That's a number that I would like to see from my closing pitcher. .61 ERA over the last 12 games. When you look at Aroldis Chapman, and I'm just trying to sort sort by game here, it, it I'm telling you, it's over that for sure. I'm using baseball reference right now to, uh, let's just say the month of August. Let's highlight these games. The month of August, which does include last night's game, ERA 4.15. 4.15 ERA for a closer. Not going to cut it. This is the time for the Yankees to experiment a little bit. They have to figure this out before the postseason starts. Okay, 877-337-6666 is the number to the call as we go. John in Norwalk, Connecticut, you're up on the fan. Hey, I wanted to uh, give a shout-out to Giancarlo Stanton. This guy, I mean, you know, me included, we were ready to, you know, drive him out of town uh, a few uh, weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then and just like the, the rest of the Yankees, I mean, it's been almost miraculous, uh, the turnaround, and uh, I, I just can't believe it. I can't believe who this guy is <laughs> after who he was. Yes, and, and and I wish there was a simple explanation for it, John. I, I don't know if there is, but I'm looking at the batting order that the Yankees rolled out last night, and it's like left, right, left, right. I'm wondering if that has, I mean, that's not all to do with it. Also, the fact that he's playing in the field. He has, he so much told you that he does better as a hitter. When, I'm para- very much paraphrasing here, but he does better as a hitter when he feels like he's in the game. He said he told you, he said something like along the lines of like, you know, when you're just batting, you kind of have to just focus on just that and 
what just happened and only the at-bats, but you kind of have to forget about that when you're in the field. Okay, well, there you go. That's your answer right there. He's physically fine. Get him out there. Let him play the outfield. John in Long Beach Island, you're up next on the fan. Yeah, hey, good morning, Danielle. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good morning. Good, good. Good morning. Just, I just woke up to, I, I heard your voice. I said, I got a call. I missed oh, that. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I, the Stanton thing, uh, the gentleman just brought up a minute ago. Wow, I was, I was ready to cut him off also. He was just brutal. Me too. Swinging the pitches, swinging the pitches, like not even close. Yep. He was guessing, I think. Mm-hmm. And now see, he's got his mind in the game. I think that's that's the key, being in the game. Mentally and physically, you know, exactly. that's a big thing. Yep. Um, I did want to talk about Chapman. He is so out of whack. Mm-hmm. Um, you sit there at the TV and you scream, throw fastball. The guy, he throws 101 miles an hour. And he totally lost confidence in his pitch. I know. Um, and it's a shame. I, I missed, yeah, I missed some of the earlier conversation about it. But the, the Yankees, we used to talk about watchable and unwatchable. Boy, you can't, you can't miss right now. I know the games are fun. the games are phenomenal. This one got a little bit close with Chapman in the game, but a little I'm bit. Not screaming at this, I'm, I'm That's screaming as close as you could potentially get without losing the game. Well, That's how close it got. I know, I know, and and, and it's great TV though, really. You know, and it's a shame that it goes a little bit late in the, at night because kids would be able to watch this and get back into the game. Yep. I think you know, John. We were talking about that um, last night when I was watching the Little League Championship game between the Angels and the Indians. Every kid right. in that stadium was out the door or on their way out the door by 9.49 p.m. The ninth inning was still going on. Yeah, it's been a lot. And that's that's why you can't get kids involved with it. I don't know if we go to like an earlier start. Yes, um, that's the simplest solution. Being, that's it. That game that yeah. game started at 7.11 p.m. was first pitch. Started at 6.11 right. p.m. How's that? Right. Simple. I know, I know what the, uh, it, it would be simple because um, you have a lot of people still not working in their offices. People are not – they're home, you yeah. know what I mean? So yep. they would be able to take the kids to the games and uh, watch TV early during the day. I think that would be it, yep. like a 6 o'clock start or something like that. But, um, but anyway, it was good talking to you. It's great to hear you on Saturday. I had you on Rewind while I was riding down Long Beach Island Boulevard. Uh, nice. I, I, I enjoy listening to, listening to your show so much. So <laughs> oh, thanks, John. Keep I up appreciate the good that. work. Thank you. Um, um, uh, they're doing great by putting you on a little bit more, and let's keep up the good work. Thanks. Appreciate it. We'll talk, uh, I'll be back thanks. on Friday, 2 to 6, Friday, this time. Oh, thanks. I'll, I'll be there, Danielle. Thank All right. You. Thanks, John. Bye. Let's go up to Albany. Mark, you're up next on the fan. Hi. Good morning, Danielle. I have a question about uh, Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. So do you think Daniel Jones can throw for uh uh like how many yards do you think he can he can throw for this year? Why did you uh, pick 25? him on your fantasy team? No, no, I'm just <laughs> curious because like he has the wide receivers and uh Yeah. He doesn't have an offensive line. He might he can't oh. throw from your back. That's the thing. Yes. Um Yeah, I mean, Mark, I don't I'm not going to go and tell you he's going to throw exactly 847 yards by week three. Like, I, I'm not into that. I'm not into any of that. It's like sort of fantasy with a lot of luck sort of guessing here. Will he have a successful season? Well, he has most of the tools to do so. I mean, you can't, I mean, who cares if he throws 5,000 yards, 15,000 yards, or 3,000? Who cares? As long as the Giants make the playoffs because that's the goal. I think that's, that's a, that's a, that's an attainable goal actually for this Giants team. Honestly. The the big thing, I hate the word thing. I was always taught in school not to use the word thing, but the big factor 
and whether or not this Giants team makes or misses the playoffs, we already know the answer. We know the answer now on August 25th, and we knew it two weeks ago. It's the, the, the offensive line and the depth of that offensive line. That's it. You can't throw for any yards if you're running for your life or if you're on your back. You just can't do it. That's the key. So, no, I'm not going to get into this game. Like, And then you're going to call me back and say, well, hey, you didn't throw that many. You were wrong. That's, that's I hate those. I hate those kind of questions. Sorry. But thanks for making the call. I appreciate it. At 449 in the morning. I appreciate that. Let's go to Edison. Ari, you're up next on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah, I want to talk about the Yankees with the Chapman situation. Yes. Uh, you know, right now, I know he lost the confidence in fastball. He throws over 100 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's, right now it's a mental thing. But the uh, players got like, uh, you know, he lost all. The, he, you know, he threw only one fastball whole that, that inning. He didn't throw, he only throw one fastball up in the zone. He missed badly. Mm-hmm. He threw all the fire and change up. Uh, he didn't throw one pass. He, I think he only threw entire inning. He threw one fastball before Aaron Boone took him out. Yeah, and there's you no know way for that. me to go back on that to see that. So I'll just take your word on that. Um, but but the, my thing is this: when somebody like Chapman like this, because he lost a lot of confidence in fastball, he got he got hit clearly. I mean, he I think he got he's getting the pitching very coach told me that <laughs> paranoid. We get hit so badly before with a fastball, right? So yes. my thing is this. Like it's some, some something like this with the player like this, with the Chapman situation, great closer with the great fastball here. Don't they have Yankees should have a counseling somebody like Chapman? Don't they have a player counseling like a, somebody as a like a sports psychologist? You know, like you know, sort of some kind of mental thing. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, as a player, like a, like like a sports psychologist where you can go and and envision. Yeah. Yes. Um, they that's they the, should. That's what he needs right now. I think before you even throw him out there, you go. It's very scary with the Chapman pitching, like we're throwing wild pitches and all that. He can he can't throw a strike because he, he has no confidence in fastball. Mm-hmm. So he throws like wild pitches, like a, when you try to throw like different pitches, mix it up, and it's not really like working for him because he's and up walking the ballpark, and then it's scary at the end. But yeah, very scary at the end. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, and you thought Ari when but, he when he developed Ari when when he developed that that split finger fastball. That was like the key to his first half of the season was that split finger fastball. And and by the way, I did go on MLB.com and I, and I am checking. That's that's incorrect. He did throw Travis Darno got a, got two fastballs in a row. One at ninety. I'm not going to go through them, but above you know ninety seven miles an hour. Adam Duvall got a four seam fastball single. Uh, Heredia got. One, two fastballs. So you see where I'm going here. So that, so that wasn't very accurate there. Oh, um, here, Adam Duvall, he got a steady diet of four straight four-seam fastballs from Aroldis Chapman and walked. That's right there. I would call that the at-bat where you're like, okay, that's where he lost confidence in that fastball. Right there, Adam Duvall. Four of them. One, it looks like one missed up, out, in, all over. He, he was trying to find it, and he couldn't. he couldn't find it. He missed uh, up and in and low and away three times. There you go. And then he unraveled from there. Tried the splitter twice, the slider. It just didn't work. He doesn't have the confidence in the fastball. As a pitcher that is a dominant pitcher who does the stare down, the whole thing, he needs to regain confidence in that fastball. And Steve in Secaucus, you're up next on the fan. Daniel, thanks for taking the call. Of course, I really thanks for making it. it. 
just on that caller before the last one, uh, I mean, who cares about how many yards Jones gets in the air? Right. I mean, I'd like to know how many yards he's going to get on the ground. Oh. When he runs... He's one of the fastest guys in the league. He is, yes. And, and for the quarterback position at last year anyway, he was second in like um in in average sprint speed only to Lamar Jackson, believe it or not. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh right. The reason I called this, uh the the fan that you are, you like the excitement, the tailgating aroma, yeah. the plain old excitement right. of being in an NFL game. Love it. But if the players are second, third, and fourth string your average and better, uh, your 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 average to better than average fan can be watched on on these guys on TV. Right. The learning process, I think, is immeasurable for coaches because what I understand now are the coaches, let's say the Browns coaches and the Giant coaches know what they're going to run on the respective offense and defense. Uh-huh. The players don't know, which is a nice little scheme that they're working. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're not giving away the house, but they're doing you know uh, plays that. The offense and the defense don't know what they're doing, but the coaches do know, so they can make a lot of check marks on that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I do. I, I get that. And that was the whole thing. We, we talked about the coaching perspective from the bubble player perspective. It's it's great. But the fan perspective, the fan in me, which you, I mean, you too. I mean, you're missing out on it, you know? Well, I think this is going to, what's going to happen over here, though, Danielle. That's what that, I'm saying. Yes. The, well, the, the, game, the, the preseason games are going to go away. Yep. And going to be doing this weekly thing. Yep, that's what I think, yeah. and, and that's the way I see this going, actually. Yes, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at, that I don't like it. Ultimately, Steve, do you, you as a, are you a fan of the Jets or the Giants? <laughs> I'm a diehard Packer fan. Oh, no, my, bro- my brother is too. Okay, so Packers, yeah. you know, would you get behind it? Would, would you vote yes or no on these practices? Uh, yeah, I would get behind the practices, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, because I just think it's strength of the team because you got eighty something guys on the on the roster. You got to get down to fifty three. You're going to get more of a look at these guys mm-hmm. doing repetitive plays and working against another team mm-hmm. than you are just in a. And you know what? The preseason games. I don't think they're going full speed. Be yeah. With you. Uh, it depends because it depends. Again, it depends on what level of player are you. Are you? Well, you know, yeah, Zach looked good the other day. I mean, Zach he looked, looked great. Good, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, no question about that. Uh, you know, but. Uh, I think the other guys, the interior lines, I think that they've got those guys, I, I think, are, are, are not going full speed. I, they don't want to get hurt, of course, you know. Almost, but, though, sometimes, though, Steve, when you play and you don't play at full speed, you run the risk of getting hurt, as absolutely. crazy as it sounds. You know? Oh, yeah. That, that's, I know, counterintuitive, but it's true. It happens sometimes yeah. like that. You're right. Absolutely right. you got a great show, Daniel. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks, Steve. I appreciate the call. Um, so we did a lot tonight, you guys. Uh, I, I'm just not a fan, you know, but I can see if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're an evaluator, a scout, all that. It, it works in, into your favor. And that's, you hit it, Steve. That's the direction I see the NFL going is, and not to mention that you have to get your roster down to, to you know, whatever it is, what is it, 53-man roster, right? With one week less of preseason games to look at it and be that, you know, evaluator, you, you, they're not playing four preseason games anymore. They're playing three. So it's just a bunch of crunch time. So I, I understand the concept of it. Maybe could they do it at MetLife Stadium instead? But then, oh, is that a preseason game? Like, like, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, I just, there's got to be a better way. Because it's the fan element that's missing. I like to get to the game early. I like to have fun before the game. I like to... You know, do all the things. You know, I, I went to a Jet game. Me and my brother went to a Jets-Packers game two, three years ago, whatever it was now. 
I mean, they had games to play in the parking lot, you know, throw the ball, whatever, and win this. And, you know, it was just a fun time. That's what I like. And that's what's sort of kind of missing from these from these joint practices. Just not not a total fan of them. But I do see, like you, Steve, into the future to see that this is probably the way that, that that's going to go. I'm not, I can't get behind it. So I'm looking at some tweets coming in at Coach MCCARTAN. Uh, oh, I did. I put up a 10-minute poll. And I said, are you a fan of the NFL's joint practices? The answers I gave you were love them or not. 72% of you guys said not. And then Matthew Kennedy, he wrote, they don't make my top 10 complaints with the NFL. Oh, boy. That sounds like it might have to be a phone call. Give me your top 10 complaints with the NFL. And I got a tweet from at Joseph Lou 26. He said, Yankees need starters that are allowed to throw more than 100 pitches and go seven or eight innings. Then you wouldn't need so many relievers. They ruin Jabba. Well, Joseph, we are in agreement on that. I'm going to hit like on that. And call me old school, but I don't know. I just like when, when a pitcher goes deep into the game and then, oh, we only have to use one reliever. I think the Yankees used, I think, was it five relievers on Tuesday night? I mean, those games, how about that? Those games drag on. That was a late game. I don't know exactly what time it ended. I didn't, I didn't look. I didn't take note of it what time it ended. But, man, that was a late game. Yeah, and Chad Green, another tweet says, Chad Green has some closing ninth inning meltdowns also. Seems much sharper in seventh and eighth. So then what do you do? Maybe you put Chapman just to gain a little bit of confidence. You put Chapman in, 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 the, uh, in the sixth or the seventh. Because that, listen, I don't subscribe to to that mentality, but the Yankees do. So I'm trying to work within their parameters. Put Chapman in in the sixth inning, even. Green, or six, seven, green, eight, Loisga, nine. Done. And we'll have to wait and see what the news is on Zach Britton. Will he need surgery? I don't know. I hope not. I, 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 and, and you also want to get a guy with a different look, too. Chapman's overpowering. You got to get a guy with a different look. That's why I love Zach Britton. He was different. He works in the bottom of the zone, all that. So we can talk more about that next time I'm on you guys. So thanks to all the callers, listeners. Could not have done this without you guys. And if you missed any portion of the show, you can go ahead and hit that Odyssey Rewind feature and select the start of the show, which is 2 a.m. I will see you guys 2 a.m. on early Friday morning. From now until then, you guys can hit me up on Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Great job, Mike Fliegeman, behind the glass tonight. And also to Mike McCann on the updates we had. So, Mike and Mike. Up next, you got the warm-up show with Al Dukes and Jerry Recco coming your way, followed by the morning show with Boomer and Geo. I will see you guys early Friday morning. Goodbye, everybody. Sports Radio 1019 FM.